progress came and took its toll And in the name of flood control They made their plans and they drained the land Now the glades are going dry And the last time I walked in the swamp I sat up on a cypress stump I listened close and I heard the ghost Of Osceola cry The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Luke Fay. We have a two-hour holiday special for all our loyal listeners tonight. The FSU women's and men's basketball team are coming off big wins this weekend with the men's team overcoming a tough start to knock off USF 66-60 in the Orange Bowl Classic in Sunrise, Florida. The FSU women's basketball team earned a massive win at Michigan 79-69 to remain undefeated with a record of 12-0. In other news, Beast Mode, a.k.a. Marshawn Lynch, is back in the NFL, possibly for the Seahawks, after running back Chris Carson was ruled out for the season with a fractured hip. We preview the final week of the NFL season the Christmas basketball slate, and an in-depth breakdown of the college football playoff that takes place this weekend. You can always call into the show at 850-644-1837. Tomahawk Talk starts right now. And, of course, I have a very special guest here in the co-host seat. I am joined by former host of Tomahawk Talk, Arya Masudi, now the current play-by-play man for FSU women's basketball, the host of Tuck Talk. Uh, for the Osceola. First off, Aria, happy Hanukkah. All right. Day two. Yeah. Candles We're ready. Are bur- candles are burning. Hey, you know, uh, got to love it, and you got to love the way the women's basketball team has started this season, 12-0 and for, for our Knowles here. Yeah, program best start ties that record, and uh, yeah, it's a really good team with a lot of balance, Luke, and uh, we're really excited. Again, though, it's just December, and if I give them too much credit, Sue will come after me, so uh, they are a really good basketball team. I think every piece has been shown, and then we'll see what they do in ACC play. How, how excited are you to uh, be back in the booth? It's been a while, Aria. Man, I walk every time I walk back into this building, it's like uh, a trip down memory lane. You, you meet some of your best friends at WVFS, and uh, the V89 Sports Department is uh, a place that uh, I have a lot of fond memories and was uh, a pretty important launching pad for uh, a lot of my career so far. 
Yeah, you, you've done some great things uh, with with Tuck Talk. You're you're having uh, current Florida State basketball players, men's and women's, on there. You're the play by play man for the women's basketball team. You're doing really well right now. Uh, what what's it like doing that? Taking that launching step from. Uh, WVFS here. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a tough path once you get into uh, sports broadcasting. You know, the the majority of people have to grind their way to the top. So I'm, I'm blessed. I think that uh, I had uh, Florida State women's basketball uh, pretty much like the first year I graduated, and so um, it's been all uphill from there. And we'll see how things go with the the uh, ESPN three side of things with ACC Network Extra, and then then that launch of their network. But um, a lot of fun. Tallahassee's still good to me, and so uh, hanging around as long as I can. Yeah, well, Aria, let's get into it. FSU versus USF. Uh, the Bulls have had Florida State's number in football and in basketball as well. They played them real tough, sixty-six to sixty. Florida State wins. USF was out uh, without one of their main players, and really from start to finish, played the better game. And it's shocking that Florida State even had a chance to win it and really pulled away at at the end. Really scrappy play for them. Yeah, I think. Uh when we dive into this conversation, it comes in twofold, right? Um, the positives and the negatives. Uh, we'll, we'll, we will probably touch on the negatives at, yeah. at nauseum here in a few minutes, and uh, we'll ha- I'll have no doubt some opinions on that. But I think the positives first. How many times in the past two or three years, Luke, have, have you looked up at a score and, and how much time's left and gone FSU's done? This is it. That was yep. the knockout blow. I could name like seven or eight games where you go, oh, man, I think this is a loss. We're chalking this one up. And just some way, somehow... FSU finds a way, and that, I think that is a testament to the culture that Leonard Hamilton has built, this attitude and this idea that until that says triple zero on the clock, we're not out of this ballgame. It doesn't matter if it's a top-five team. We've seen them do it against Louisville, Virginia Tech in the past, and then, of course, uh, Xavier uh, yep. in the, to get to the Elite Eight uh, in that, on that run. We've had moments where we're like, ah, I think this is, this is it. They've been punched, and you got to give that team a lot of credit. They don't quit and they never say die. Yeah, and USF was overmatched though. I mean, they they were small. They they really it it, it looked like from the very start Florida State was going to manhandle them in the post and and they never really did. They they couldn't get anything going from the outside. They're 0 for 10 to start the game from 3 and that that really set them back the entire game. It looked like they were trying to find a way to win. And and one of the things that I really liked was those loose balls. They, they were going after loose balls. Leonard Hamilton got a technical foul. I mean, it was one of those games where you could go and look in the future and say, hmm, if you lose this USF game and Florida State is sitting in the 8th or ninth seed in the ACC, is this the one that, that pushes you over the hump to get in? Or if you had lost this, it, it could have caused you to miss the tournament. I mean, Leonard Hamilton is really built up, which uh, people forget three years ago they were calling for Leonard Hamilton's head, and now, uh, just three years later, they're calling for a statue, Aria. Yeah, I think what he's done, to your point, is incredible. You know, Florida State's, we're not not kidding ourselves, right? Like, FSU does not, they don't emphasize the sport as an administration, as a fan base, as a culture, uh, the same way they do for football. And what Leonard Hamilton's done is come to a non-basketball school and has it competing with some of the best teams in the country, and I think that's just look. You got to give the man credit, and he said it once himself. He goes, maybe my best, my my one through five are probably not going to be the best in the ACC. They're not going to beat the Dukes and the Carolinas of the world, but I believe my one through ten uh, can be better than anyone. And I think that that that's a, a good point. This team is different, though, Aria, because you look at the one through ten, and at times one through twelve for for Coach Leonard Hamilton. He does not have a deep bench this year. It, it, they they lost a lot, and and really coming back. 
you look at the bench, and Patrick Williams is coming off it. He had 26 minutes. Wyatt Wilkes only had four minutes played. Malik Osborne, 14 minutes. And Anthony Plight with 24 minutes. And earlier on in the season, if you were saying Anthony Plight was playing 24 minutes, it was not really a winning basketball game. But one thing that I've seen is he's actually stepped up. He hit a couple of big threes against USF. And, and what he's been known for at Florida State is defensively, Anthony Polite has really been the difference maker in a couple of these games down the stretch. Yeah, I don't think we see Polite play 24 minutes that often. No. And for that to happen, it means Leonard Hamilton is starting to trust him. And so when he first came into Florida State, he was kind of trying to find his his role, right? You have a, a deep bench last year with guys like Kevin Gelly, who the best sixth man in the ACC, yep. would, would probably be starting on, on a lot of other teams. And you had Savoy and all these other guys coming off the bench. Anthony Polite really struggled to find his own. Um, this year, Polite's had no choice. And I think what we're seeing is I don't know that he'll ever be a number one scoring option for you, but could he be a, a really good three or four down the road in his career? He's only, I mean, he's still a young player. He's an underclassman and a good three-point shot from the outside. He's an elite defender. And the way Florida State's playing this year, he's really kind of catalyzed that. You, you mentioned the uh, six-man of the year and, and Cabin Gelly last year. And this year, Patrick Williams has kind of filled in that role. He could be the most talented player on this team, but why is Leonard Hamilton holding him back? Look, I think... Or is he even holding him back? I don't think he's really holding him back. I, I mean, Patrick... Patrick still seems to be thinking way too much in terms of what he wants to do. Um, and I know personally, I've, I've talked about this a little bit on, on Tuck Talk and uh, with, with uh, other guys at the Osceola and on the beat for Florida State. We still keep waiting for Patrick Williams to kind of have that game mm-hmm. where you go, aha, there's the light. It's on. And, um, you know, maybe for some guys it takes 20 games. We, we were expecting uh, – a five-star talent that steps on immediately, and I, I don't know. Maybe people had expectations of a guy who was going to lead the team in scoring, but I mean, he's pretty confident. You you watch him yeah, against USF. He, he he came up and shot some shots. Now you you would go, that's a little bit quick. And is he is he a knockdown shooter? Not exactly yet, but you got to give Coach Ham credit for not thrusting him out there and forcing him to be in that that role because Florida State doesn't necessarily need him to be the best player on this team right now. No, I agree with you, but he only attempted four shots against the Bulls. And I don't know that you want... If Patrick Williams is your most talented player, I think yeah. you want him attempting more than four shots. And that goes back to, to basically what I've been... what I'm The point that I'm trying to make is that we need him to be more assertive. FSU probably needs, this, needs his, their freshman to start commanding the basketball. Uh, and he has it in him. We've seen high-level motor. We've seen athleticism that look I mean that's an NBA athlete right yep. there and so he, he's actually a, a decent three-point shooter when he stands still and he can knock him down and he's a good free throw shooter uh, but I would love to see him think a little bit less play within the flow of the offense you know, a naturally little bit more. natural and it's not just him though you look yeah. at that that FSU offense in the half court right now it's not very good I mean that, and that's why against USF it, it took FSU changing the game plan which was if you, the last five minutes, they started trapping, and they yeah. started full-court pressuring uh, and going, let's defend 94 feet away from the bucket and see if we can't create some turnovers, and luckily, in that game, they did. Yeah, you look at, uh, but you look at Devin Vassell, and he's been the leading scorer for Florida State, really been the go-to guy on offense. When he's not going, Florida State is in trouble. Trent Forrest, I, I mean, you, you can go back to the Gonzaga game where, where Trent Forrest carried Florida State and put him on their back, but but you, you look at it right now, he's not going to score 30 points a game. He, he really isn't. I think in, a, at this point, it's got it, to be Devin Vassell, and he did not have a good game, uh, only eight points. Where, where do you think he, he is right now? It, it seems like a little bit of a struggle playing against USF. 
Yeah, and I think Vassell's another one of those guys that when he's when he's at his peak is uh, is going to be one of those guys that, that helps Florida State move forward. I, I just, right now, FSU offensively, they look like a team that is trying to figure out really what they're going to do without their last six, with losing six players from a season ago. And right now, you know, Trent Forrest, you mentioned it. I mean, he's not really... He's not designed to be the primary ball scorer uh, for Florida State. I, I mean, he's, he's a great player, an elite athlete, and a guy that I think could make the NBA under the right circumstances. But Forrest's game is not really built to take over offensively, and, and he, doesn't have a, he doesn't have the ability to create his own step-back jumper or one-on-one battles. I mean, he's a downhill attacker. So uh, to your point exactly, I think Vassell probably fits that mold better than anyone. The guy who, late in the shot clock, say you're under 10. Yeah. Who are you giving the ball to, to to make something happen out of nothing? It's probably Devin Vassell. And again, we have to remember he's only a sophomore. And so yeah. as the season evolves, you would hope to see some of these guys maybe start to uh, also evolve into their roles. And I, I think, uh, Devin, he had such a good start to the season that expectations kind of just jumped it. He, he went from being a guy who was going to easily be back his junior year to people are talking about him being a mid to late first round pick. And I think that's on Florida State as a whole saying... You know, we we expected way too much from this guy, and and really last year he, he was more of a role player, and and now you're trying to get him to step in. We'll we'll see where it ends up. Uh, we we do have a caller on the line that is Kurt Weiler from the Tallahassee Democrat. Kurt, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, opening up the phone lines, getting the uh, gang back together. Yeah, yeah, Kurt. Uh, well, we're talking a, a little bit of Florida State basketball right now. Um, we we were wondering what what do you think is wrong with Devin Vassell? Um, I don't know if there's like anything wrong per se. I think you're just looking at a guy who was asked to take a pretty minuscule role as a true freshman on a team with a lot of vets that he made the most of and really shined. I think people expected a lot of him, and, and he obviously, I think, was stepping into a significantly larger role this year, and he's there's going to be some growing pains with that. I mean, he shined early this season. I don't think I'm worried about him long term. I think there's just going to be some up and downs. I mean, you need to remember the kid's still only a – it's only his second year here, and he's being asked to take on a pretty big role, definitely bigger than I think a lot of people thought he would coming into here. And he's definitely, I would say, exceeded expectations, even given kind of his recent issues. First off, it's good to have Kurt. That was my uh, this that was it was it was Ario and Kurt on the show a few years yeah. back, so it's good to have my co-host back with me. Uh, but Kurt, I think Kurt nails it, you know, and I think that's maybe a. Maybe a staple of the way just Florida State's offense is every night. Leonard Hamilton always praises, we're not going to have one go-to scorer every single game. And I think that's just the culture of Florida State is that on any given night, um, it could be another player that scores 15 or 16. You don't have many nights where one guy scoring 25 and the rest are just following. This isn't really an Anthony Edwards at Georgia situation. Oh, boy. Or, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a, deep, a little that's deep, a deep cut. cut. Yeah, yeah 30, you know, and, and Kurt, knows, I mean, Kurt, Kurt pretty much nails it in that, you know, Florida State, because of that identity, maybe some of the players don't have that built into them right now to kind of be go-to scorers. It changes night to night based on you know the, the game plan and the opponent. And uh, I think, again, Florida State found a way to beat a team with the sum of its parts. Kurt, do you think that Florida State took an early Christmas break? I mean, they were down 57-47 to 47 with 6.15 left and, and went on a 19-3 run. To, to take the game. I mean, it looked like they had no energy to, at the very beginning of the game, and, and towards the later end, they, they kind of turned it up with the traps that Ari had been talking about. I mean, I think you talk about how young this team still is. I think you talk about that Leonard Hamilton hasn't really shied away from the fact that he thinks this is probably the toughest 
non-conference schedule they've played in his almost 20 years here. And, I mean, you in terms of how far they've traveled all over the place, how rarely they've been at home, I mean, you see some teams like Indiana, when FSU went up there, it was like their 12th game of the year or something like that, or 8th or ninth game of the year, they hadn't gone away from home. FSU's gone to Indiana. FSU went to Destin, Niceville, won a couple games. FSU went to Sunrise. FSU went to Pitt. FSU went to Florida. I think they're probably worn down. I think this week, where they're off now for a little while, and kind of refreshing before ACC play will be a uh, big for them. I do, I think they're probably just they're they're tired, honestly. And and I mean for them to grind out the result because I mean the truth is, at the end of the day, style points aren't considered by the committee. Win losses was considered by the committee for them to grind out the win regardless in that situation where it was far from their best days. It's a testament to them. I think something that's that's really important. I know Luke mentioned it earlier in the show is that FSU doesn't have as deep of a bench as it's had in years past and I don't know I think I think if you look at numbers sheer numbers they still run out about the same amount of people but Kurt tell me if I'm wrong they don't have as many guys deep into the bench that they can trust for significant minutes and I think a lot of that's because Florida State's chosen to go to a smaller lineup here for for longer portions of the game you know there's no doubt I mean I think there are guys who they would love to get integrated but they're not going to throw guys into the situations you look like you're your Nate Jacks your Wyatt Wilkes your I mean, even Dom, right? Polite showed yep. it in that game. I think you're, you're, I mean, Raekwon Evans almost have to use that as a necessity, but I mean, just because he's your backup point guard, you don't have a true other backup point guard outside of him. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think, well, anytime you lose, what, six guys off a team, you're going to have that. And they're dealing with that now. For, so for them still to be sitting here with only two losses as they, I mean, a top 20 team with all that considered, I think is a, a testament to what Leonard Hamilton's built. For me, too. I... I look at a team, and in most years in college basketball, teams who lose, okay, this is, by the way, Dukes, Carolinas, those teams don't really count because they can reload with five freshmen who are elite. Most programs, and you're seeing this with Virginia right now too, most programs who lose as many players as Florida State did, the next year, if they don't have a go-to scorer that they bring in from grad transfer or via a recruit or someone who develops into a a high-volume, high-percentage guy, they struggle tremendously, and I think that's why I'm so amazed that Florida Florida State exceeded my expectations through uh, through this through December right now. Because if you look at the way the schedule was set up, uh, really Florida State has one only has one loss right now. Pitt counts as a loss later in the year yep. because they were first one non conference loss. And as tough as they've played, as Kurt mentioned, they su- that's surprising the heck out of me how well they've played. And I think it's because they've adapted to what they have. Give Leonard Hamilton credit for being a basketball coach, and they're pressuring teams more than they ever have. I've seen more full-court traps than I think I've seen under Leonard Hamilton the last two or three years. And I look at Ken Palm, and now they're they're fifth in the country and forcing turnovers. Kurt, correct me if I'm wrong, but Florida State, they lost a a seven-footer who did not, somehow he did not become eligible or or whatnot. And Malik Osborne, he was slated to be in a guard position and now is playing in more of a a low-post, power-forward, center position. It, it, it's confusing to see this team kind of switch around like it like it has because really going into this year, within a month, Leonard Hamilton has to switch up the whole dynamic of his team. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's you talk to Leonard Hamilton, and if you ask him that, he'll talk to you and go on a a, a diatribe about how his team really there are positions, and sure, some people might be more inclined to play inside, some people might be more inclined to play outside, but on the whole, they talk about switching one through five defensively, which helps them out immensely, and how they really play positionless basketball. And although that's, I mean, not entirely true because it can't be entirely true, I mean, how I think you've seen finally that for the longest time they prided themselves on that defense, 
And when they made the switch to the up-tempo offense a couple of years ago, I think you saw defense kind of have to go out the window just because they were, A, still kind of getting used to running the up-tempo, and B, when you're running that up-tempo, it's a little harder to defend all out because it takes a lot of effort. But when you build the depth that they kind of are able to build here, and now that they have a couple of years into the system, they're three, four years into it, you're seeing a team more adapted to now be able to bring the defensive principles that Leonard Hamilton lived by for a long time into the more up-tempo offense, and it's a pretty lethal combination. Aria, Florida State did you know a lot of bad things yeah. in, in that game against USF. What is the one good thing you can take away from that whole game, knowing that they're about to go, they're they're going to play a cupcake? I think it's Northern Alabama or some something like that. Yeah, North, then, is it North Alabama or North Georgia? I, I can't remember. Kurt, you know, North Alabama. North is Alabama. It, is it, okay. That was that was recently a, moved into the A Sun, by the way. Okay, yeah. yeah. A... So so they're going to play a cupcake and then jump into Georgia Tech. I what. What do they need to? Yeah, what do they need to change this quick? Because it almost gives you a, a little bit of a flashback to when they jumped into Pitt. You know, they, they, it's it's a different team. Yeah, the one thing I think I take away more than anything, again, other than other than like maybe the sentimental, they never quit. And they're really tough. <laughs> is uh, they can? I think they can rely on their defense. Kurt pretty much alluded to it. I think we're what 12, 12 games into the season. That's enough of a sample set for me to think that this defense will remain elite for the rest of the season. Um, and when I look at the, the turnovers, and they're fifth in the country, and they're forcing turnovers at a record rate in Tallahassee, um, that gives me a lot of hope in that maybe there will be nights where offense looks as putrid as it did uh, against USF, and it won't matter because you're grinding ways, um, you're grinding your way to a win. And so that impresses me most. Um, and, and let's be honest, Florida State's going to win the majority of its ACC games at home. They're really tough in Tallahassee. And so if you can steal a couple on the road and get yourself to about the 12 ACC win mark, I think FSU's looking at a top six seed in the NCAA tournament. Kurt, la- last question. Florida State's seven-footers, they, they only got 12 minutes combined in, in the game against USF. It, it, do they just not fit in this offense this year? What, what's wrong? Within not I think it minutes. varies opponent to opponent. I think you'll see more games against ACC teams that have those tall guys that they'll be able to play more minutes so long as they can stay out of foul trouble, which has been a problem at times. I think teams like the USF that aren't able to get as many seven-footers have to kind of play small, and they kind of try and combat Florida State's height by saying, well, we're going to make you mismatch so you can't keep those people on the floor. And that's how they kind of – and you'll talk hear Leonard Hamilton talk about how, I mean – they're, they always are, are big on adjusting in game. I mean, as every coach is, but it's just a. I think as you go into ACC play, you'll see more games where they are more fit. But a, a team like that was clearly just, I would say, a mismatch where USF tried to kind of take away the strengths in that regard and was talented enough. And I mean, Florida State had a bad enough air game in other areas that, for for large stretches of the game, they were able to kind of take away and neutralize those Florida State bigs. But no, I mean, I think. The, the bigs are never going to be the guys who average the double-doubles, but I think a guy like a Chris Kumaji and the career he had here and the growth he had here shows that I, I would not say it's anything to the terms of them not able to fit in this offense. I think it's just they uh, there are going to be games where they're bigger and smaller parts depending on what the opponent throws at them. Yeah, I think more for me it's not that they don't fit into this offense. I think it's more that maybe they're just not ready – defensively um, to, to do what Leonard Hamilton wants. And that's because, I mean, Kurt mentioned it, one through five, FSU likes to switch. Obviously, when Koprovica and Olenicek are in the game, 
it's tougher for a five to switch onto a one. You know, when when Raekwon Gray or Patrick Williams, Malik Osborne, if those three are the tallest guy on the court, they're all really nimble, you know, and, and they all move really well with guards, and that's when Florida State can get into the passing lanes because, let's let's be real here, Florida State's best offense is not going to come in the half court. It won't all season. Um, they could get better in the, in the half court, um, and as much flack as we're giving them they're 41st in the country right now in offensive efficiency out of 353 teams so it's not like it's not like it's it's like they're not struggling to put the ball in the basket they're getting to the free throw line they're getting in transition um that's probably there are just going to be games where they struggle and that's that's and i think more for anything kurt do you agree with me this may not be a good shooting basketball team they just may not be a good team uh, barring some nights where they hit the shot from three you know i mean every team can be streaky I, i just don't think that this is a great shooting team no, I think a lot of the guys you're relying on are newer guys in those roles. I mean, I think you've seen you've seen growth in the jumper from Trent Forrest, which is a huge part of the game yep. he's brought, and frees him up immensely to do other things. Because, like we saw with Terrence Mann until his senior year, that no one tr- no one closed out on him because they didn't trust him to actually take that shot. And I mean, what Terrence Mann did last year and what Trent's doing from this year, showing the willingness to take and sub- subsequently make. Those threes are, are doing wonders for the rest of his game and really for his teammates. But, no, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think Nathaniel Jack hasn't really been able to play just because of how tough this schedule is, maybe as much as you thought he would. And he was a guy you looked at as a three-point guy off the bench. Mm-hmm. Wyatt Wilkes has had his moments, but he's also not been extremely consistent on the floor in terms of just how much he's able to play in terms of the rotation. Leonard Hamilton's had to use because of the schedule, so... I mean, I agree. I think the defense will bail out a team that may not be a great shooting night team, but I, I, that's not going to be the strength of this team, but I think they've proven they can overcome that. You, you know who these two seven-footers kind of remind me of? And I I, I want to see if you guys can dive back into your memory, but who was, who was the seven-footer opposite of Michael Ojo? Bojanovsky. He kind of reminds me of, like, a lesser version of him. Who? Of which one? Which one? Uh, the the younger Koprovitsa. I think Koprovitsa is better than Bojanovski. Right now? Oh yeah, really? He has more offensive skill. Well, by virtue of Balsha is a, a top sixty recruit. Uh, Boris, I believe, was a three star, maybe. Yeah, I know, but by his senior year, he he couldn't play defense, but he at least had some offense. Yeah, by the senior, I think people gave uh, Boris a hard time, and yeah. by his senior year, Boris was actually not was not a bad player. No, that's that's what I was saying. But he reminds me kind of that style of player where he's not there. Uh, defensively, but he can give you something offensively. I, it's just, I, do you think Leonard meant to play him this early? I, I, I wouldn't have shocked me if, if he was going to be redshirted. But then, what happens with everything? I, it, to me, to me, Florida State right now is in an area where they can be so much better than they are. But you really, you really can't say until they get in the conference play. What I would say to that is that although he's had those struggles, also. Uh, who I don't think was ever going to Richard, will be better off in ACC play having gone through the struggles he did in okay. non-conference play. And that's where they need that depth. I mean, Leonard Hamilton talks all the time about how he realizes they're not going to be able to be one through five more talented than the Louisville's, Dukes, UNC's, Virginia's, those teams. Where he wins is that his six through ten, if those teams even go that deep, are that much better. So I think he's had to kind of ride the growing pains of a guy. But, I mean, you in spurts especially – seen the upside of a guy like Koprovica and what he's kind of been able to bring. So, I, I mean, yeah, he's had those struggles, and yeah, he's not where you need him to be defensively, but I think that's also a credit to how good a lot of the rest of the team is defensively, that he looks like such a weak spot. 
Well, Kurt, thank you uh, for for joining us, uh, helping us as uh, we're we're doing tonight. Uh, We've had a couple of people uh, fall out, but I I appreciate helping. That's Kurt Weiler of the Tallahassee Democrat. We're about halfway through the first hour of our two-hour special. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We're back. It's uh, about halfway through 634 here and in the first hour of our two hour special. I'm joined alongside uh, Ari Masudi. This is Tomahawk Talk. We were on the other side talking Florida State men's basketball hoops. And Ari was mentioning halfway through the show how the, the change of scenery for Florida State, they've gone all the way across the country. But this this floor that they were playing on was, was not really a basketball arena at all. Yeah, no, I think it's... I mean, I know it's not really making an excuse for yeah, it's, for it's the, a little for the performance, but I think it is important to note too, though that they played in the uh, Florida Panthers hockey arena, which almost never is turned into a hoops arena, and so I know the goalposts and the rims, they're those are just they're temporary, and so they bring them in once a year. And um, Florida State USF, USF was three of fifteen from beyond the arc, so. Uh, Florida State started 0 for 10. Exactly. They, they so, ended up 7 of 27, yeah, so, so they got better, struggle, but still. Yeah. Right. Teams struggle at this in this classic all the time, and Florida and Utah State played right after, and neither team really shot the ball that well from three in that game either. So um, these games always end up being games that are played in the 60s, and so... Uh, by the way, the Gators lost to Utah State. Yeah, uh, they, they keep losing in that uh, classic. But they, for some reason, they get the primetime game. They get the night game. They they always. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you you run hand in hand with some Florida Gator fans. I mean, my brother graduated from the University of Florida, and 
they do not like Mike White over there. I don't really know exactly why, but they just don't like him. I mean, if you look at the Florida team, I think they were just overrated. They're so young. It's not a team that exactly ready this year, but if you had told me that the number, what were they, number five or number eight in the country? They were top five. Yeah, if you would have told me that Florida State would be a far better team than them going into the year. I mean, I would have been shocked, but I I don't think that it's necessarily time to make a change for for Florida over there. No, well, if you're an FSU fan, you want Mike White there as long as possible. (laughs) I mean, Leonard Hamilton is in that guy's head uh, rent-free. So yeah, uh, I don't know if he's a bad coach per se, but they have a lot of talent at the University of Florida year in and year out, and for them to have struggled the way they have. I mean, Andrew Dembard is a five-star player. Trey Mann's a five-star. Blackshear. Blackshear's a... a he is essentially had a five-star for a, one pe- year. People had him as, an, as a, as a uh, preseason All-American, as a first-teamer. And, but um, I think they're misusing him. They're using him on the perimeter and everything. That's not exactly his game. Offensively, and that is a Mike White problem, is that they're not very good offensively. They're an elite defensive squad. But Scotty Lewis was uh, a top-15 recruit, top-10 recruit, I think, and there is a lot of talent on that Florida team. I think they have like seven or eight blue-chip prospects, but we'll see. I... Florida tends to play better as the season gets going. Yep. There's a lot of times people have freaked out about the University of Florida, and by like the second, they're always in the second weekend of. He's of March taking Madness. them to an elite eight. Yeah, they're, they're always in like a six sweet sixteen, and it's like uh, there's the Gators again, and they play in the SEC. Which let's be honest, like yeah. as as much, it's like the reverse of like football. You know, SEC Vanderbilt's fans, really yeah, good. SEC fans <laughs> make fun of like ACC and all this football. And then everyone else, when basketball seasons start, just kind of makes fun of SEC basketball because it's like Kentucky and Florida sometimes. And yeah. who else? Vanderbilt is usually up in there sometimes, every once in a while. They've been terrible for two years. And Tennessee last year, just Tennessee and yep. Auburn. I mean, it, it's just not a deep league. Yeah. Well, what, well, let's let's move to what is a deep league, and that is the ACC for the women's side. And Aria, I you were talking to me about how you uh, you, you though got in at two a.m. and they didn't give you your bags, did they? No, I didn't get my bags uh, until today <laughs> at 6 p.m. So it's been a uh, it's been an interesting Monday. Merry Christmas to me. Going in, they they were going against the number 24 team in the country. I, that's that's what they have them as of right now. But it, it's a tough it's a tough time to go on the road. And Florida State finishes non conference undefeated, 12 and 0. We were in Connecticut at, okay, uh, okay, okay. at the Mohegan Sun. It was um it was a neutral site Hall of Fame showcase. Okay. So yeah, I would have. But loved- they were the, they were the road team. Florida uh, State, I thought, was the road team. No, uh, nah, yeah, we, we were the It doesn't really team. matter. We, it, yeah, yeah I mean, at that matter. point, you're a neutral side game. But you were, you UConn, was, everyone was the road team because UConn's game after had about 10,000 oh, people there. So they played. The new number one team now. Yeah, they are the new number one team. But um, I would have loved to go to Ann Arbor. That would have been cool to, to check that out. But uh, Mohegan Sun was really cool. The casino and the resort are incredible. I'm sure. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're unbelievable. And so uh, a great event. And um, point being, no matter where they played, Florida State. One by ten against a, a really good Michigan team and um, a Michigan team that only had one loss on the year coming in. Right now, we're still number eight in the country. For some reason, we just can't get any love. We're undefeated with three top twenty-five wins, and um, we're still stuck at eight behind a couple of teams. Louisville, yeah, and it just look. Louisville was a better team last year. You, yeah, if you're going off of we're, we're what happened, what, twelve last games year. into the season, I think I think we've proven ourselves. But here's the here's the truth about college basketball, men's and women's. Yeah, polls don't matter. I think the number one team's lost three times this year. The polls, just, the, the polls yeah. literally have no bearing on the NCAA seeding. So, in the, in essence, polls are there for marketing purposes during the season. It's yeah. really it has no bearing on RPI. And so, I know Sue talking to Sue about it yesterday, and no one cares. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's more respect. And so, it, if anything, it gives locker room material for the ladies. 
And uh, you've got a really good team that's already motivated enough. <laughs> well, Florida State, the men's team, they were down at half. Florida State's women's team was down at half, thirty-two to thirty-one. Yep. And and they, they, it was it was a battle back and forth. And and really, it, it's one of those teams where last year Florida State and and women's exceeded expectations with all the injuries. I, by the end of the season, already, am I right? They had seven scholarship players available or something like that. They, I mean, they were hampered by injuries, and now this yep. year they get get people back, and and really. As you said, they're underrated and, and came up against a Michigan team that, that is pretty good and went and beat them. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, a Florida State team that just continues to impress me. I mean, Sue Semrose bunch, every game comes up and you're like, all right, here's another test. And we go and play Texas A&M, and they're ranked, I think they were ranked six, I yeah, believe, yeah, yeah, when, right. when FSU played them, beat them by 20-plus. You play a, a Michigan State team that was a top-20 team that real feisty, you beat them by 10. And then a Michigan team that... Uh, a lot of people thought it was going to be pretty good this year, and they're a preseason top 25 team. They've stayed in the top 25. Um, Florida State beats them by 10. And so you're beating all the teams that, quote-unquote, um, if you want to be an elite basketball squad, you're beating, right? You need to beat to kind of prove that, that you're really good. And so now for them, for the ladies, it's important to to kind of like hone in and make sure that they don't get in their own heads and think that they're unbeatable because on any given night you can be beat. And uh, this this group, though, has impressed me uh, so far this year And that really all those games, except for Texas A&M, and there's been a couple of others, but they've had a lot of close games in the fourth quarter. There's been a lot of games against Michigan State. They were down with like four minutes left. And against Michigan, they were, I think they were down early in the fourth quarter. And so being able to take over late in a ball game is a sign of a mature team. And when you come to March... You're gonna have you're gonna have games that go down to the wire. I'm so impressed. You you look at the you look at the team. Kaya had 39 minutes. Nikki Akamu had 39 minutes as well. They, the the bunch beyond that it, it was spread out pretty pretty evenly. But Florida State doesn't necessarily have one of those scores that's gonna put up the 23 points per game. It's it's kind of indicative of what Leonard Hamilton puts together, which is just a solid team all together. Naja Wolfuk with 21 points for Florida State. He, this team right now is one of those teams that you go watch out for in the ACC. Yeah, I think they're one of the favorites along with Louisville and NC State. I think it's a three-team race right now in the ACC uh, going into the first games of the season. And so uh, Miami's in there too. They've got a nice squad. But um, it's been interesting because Notre Dame's down. And Notre Dame hasn't been down in over a decade. And mm-hmm. so seeing a Muffet-McGraw coach team that's got already five or six losses this season, they may not make postseason period. Like They may not go to the NIT, which is unheard of for a program that makes final fours and national title games and Arike and Gunman Wale oh, yeah. was just there and they had five seniors who all got drafted in the WNBA draft and Jackie Young gets drafted as like a junior and it, by the way ladies don't go pro early no that's not that's rare and so for Jackie Young to do it that that blows my mind and it just but it just it's a testament to how good that team is and so it's been weird. Notre Dame, kind of the top dog in the conference, is is down, and so I think there's three or four other teams that you're eyeing at it and going, "Hmm, this could be uh, this could be ours for the taking." If uh, if you guys uh, end up end up winning the ACC tournament, you think you're going to get a ring? I think I'll cry, but <laughs> if we if we get a ri- if I get a ring, uh, Sue, if you're listening, Melissa, our uh, our uh, uh, director of operations, uh, I'd like a ring. No, I'm putting that on the record. You know, I, I had the same thing with Rob at TCC. When our women's team won the national championship, he told me, uh, he said, the next time we win, you'll get one. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. Next Dude, time. The next time. I know. It was the first one in history. So, you know. This like, was kind of like uh, my first year. Uh, the, the ladies went to, uh, they had their, their Nike foreign tour. 
You get to do one every four years. And okay. so I signed on in, I believe, April or May, and the trip was in August. And uh, the team had already booked their trip to uh, Spain and Italy. And I was told no. the next time the next time you can be included on our 10-day trip oh. and i was like what do you mean next time <laughs> oh my gosh and that's so brutal that hurt that hurt but hey i ended up going to israel that summer uh with my family so i got out but <sighs> point being yeah i mean uh you, you gotta let these things you gotta you gotta let your ad's know everything i mean i i i don't think i made it as as uh clear as i should have that you know you know, ring ring means a lot more because people don't understand how much as being a play-by-play guy over at TCC how much you really get into the team coming to Florida State was I a TCC Eagle fan no no not at all I mean because I I never knew anything about them but when you start calling a team and you start knowing the players and like what they go through their daily schedules and everything we're covering games you cover games when when you were a student and you're like wow man this is pretty tough you know I, I've got schoolwork to do everything these people are physically playing in these games people don't understand how much how much emotion goes into it where oh, yeah. when when Florida State loses as a women's basketball team I'm sure you feel it Aria oh yeah I mean those those uh the bus ride to the airport not uh, fun I mean it's quiet and somber and uh, on the other side, when they win games, you know, like they have this year, and it's been fun. Uh, yeah, there's there's some rap battles going on in the back of the bus, <laughs> and uh, the, the 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 girls really they enjoy themselves, and um, uh, yeah, you know, you, you I think more than anything, you touch on, you get to know these people, you know, as as true athletes, and you know, ladies off the court, and you 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 get to know Sue a little bit, and all the support staff and the assistant coaches, and you're on the road with them, and you're eating team team meals, and yeah, I mean. You feel like you're part of the family, and so um, when when family hurts, you hurt, and so I think that's that's definitely accurate. Aria, looking at this season, what does Florida State's women's team have to do to to compete for the regular season ACC title? I think we got to start hitting some shots. Um, you know, against against Michigan, we only hit three of nine threes. It's a lot of the same problems actually as the men. Yep. Um, it's now I think the I think the ladies have. Sometimes, though, it's hard to get up for non-conference opponents. It you know? can be. You know I mean, what I mean? They were plenty up, though, for a play top 25 team. <laughs> and against Texas A&M, they had no yeah. problems playing oh, yeah. a top, top 10 team. But um, this team, the, the women are different from the men in that you have three players that I think are alphas. Kaya Gillespie and, and Naja Wolfhook and, of course, Nikki Akamu. Those, those ladies are all, they're all, like, top dogs. I mean, they, they, they pretty much account for, like, 80% of FSU's points most of the time. And so it's something that I think a lot of people don't know. I mean, I know women's basketball isn't covered heavily and um, the average fan isn't always tuned in until postseason time. But FSU actually has like five McDonald's All-Americans on its roster. Like this is not a this is FSU is an elite talent basketball team. So and, and who just who went down uh, prior to the season again? Well, it was Isabella Nicoletti and uh she's now torn ACLs in both knees and she was the number 16 overall recruit in her class. Uh, Point guard, by the way, which is really yep. important, and it forced us to kind of move Nikki Akamu to point guard. Who's she's done an unbelievable job of kind of learning how to become one over the last two years. But she's a natural two guard combo guard who likes to score the basketball instead of handling it and trying to initiate offense for everyone else. Um, so having her back would have made us, I think, a legitimate you know Final Four favorite. But we we still might get there. I mean, this team's really good. What what is what what is Kaya? She she transferred in, and I think it was from Maryland. From Maryland. From Maryland, sat out the year as a scout team player, and came in last year and and really solidified that team. And then this year has taken on a bigger role. I know that you've had her on Tuck Talk for the podcast. What 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 has she done for this team? Given 
that in in the women's game having a dominant big man is is kind of unheard of almost. Yeah, and I mean, so Kaya, the one thing that I think, if I could shed some light on her career, I mean, she goes to Maryland. She was a McDonald's All American. This was an elite recruit. I mean, she was she was sought out by like like everyone. This wasn't like some this isn't some player that's developed from like a no name into like in women's yeah. basketball. Uh, there's about 50 recruits every year, and really you can narrow it down to about 20. Right? Like, you could say the top 20 are, like, elite players that everyone wants really bad. Like, six of them go to UConn. The other five (laughs) go to to Notre Dame, and, like, everyone everyone else is, like, fighting for the last, like, six or seven. So, uh, give Sue Semra a lot of credit uh, for getting Kaya in. That's somewhere we've we've really, really thrived. And Sue has always brought in a transfer, it feels like, once a year from uh, another Power 5 school that ends up becoming an instant impact player. And uh, we did that with AJ Alex uh, a couple yep. years back, and right now Bianca Jackson came from South Carolina. She's sitting; she's got to sit out this year. She'll be able, yeah. available next year. Um, but yeah, so we have transfers that are. We always have one that steps right in and helps us out. But Kaya was a premier scorer. She's about. She stands about six one, six two, and she's uh, she's got broad shoulders. She's she's built really well, and um, she's rare because she can score from down low. And she's too she's too big for a smaller player to guard her down low. Yet she steps out and can hit the yeah. three in an elite way. And she's got a she's kind of got a turnaround jumper. And she she's too quick for any player that's like six three or six four. And so you have an elite offensive player like her. And this game against Michigan, what wowed me, and I told her after she had ten assists for the first time in her career. She's the third player ever at Florida State to have a triple double. I joked with her and I said, I said, okay, Russell Westbrook. And so she, she smiled at that. But that showcased to me another step in her maturity. If you want to say evolution, her evolution's yeah. not been going from unconfident to score. She's always been a scorer. That's what she did. That's what Maryland brought her in to do. That's what Florida State got her to transfer to do. It was, she became a double-double machine last year where every game was like 18 points, 10 rebounds. This year, double-doubles are still there. And in this game, Michigan triple-teamed her, double-teamed her. And for the first time, I saw Akaya Gillespie that wasn't baffled by double teams. She passed out of it and had 10 assists. For, for people who don't know, could you give an NBA equivalent? Like, I, I was trying to think, Kevin Love doesn't have the post moves, but you could, you could argue it could be kind of like a Kevin Love type player where, you know, he, he sure. can stretch out and shoot the ball. Sure, I mean, and look, in the w, <laughs> a lot of these ladies don't like to be compared to NBA yeah. guys because they're like, what about the WNBA? And it's yeah. like, I get it. But um, for, for the lay person who doesn't know the right. WNBA. Um, yeah. Her game reminds me, yeah, I think Kevin Love is, is pretty good. I mean, I think she's she's a better passer than, than K-Love is. <laughs> and so, but yeah, I mean, that's probably not a... Not a bad, not a bad description. Down, down low, River Baldwin. Yeah. She, she, McDonald's she, All American, by the way. Yeah, she she stepped it up twelve points. You, you've seen a lot out of her the last couple games. Yeah, you really have, and um, she's a load. <laughs> I mean, she uh, she can really play basketball. I mean, she's a pure scorer, a pure big, and that's something that has changed Florida State because you got Valencia Myers, who's I'm going to use this word, this, this term again, McDonald's All-American. You've, yep. got, you've got two down low, and it's nice. Not many teams have McDonald's All-Americans coming off their bench. <laughs> and River Baldwin and Sammy Puisis are two that come off the bench for Florida State. And so um, River Baldwin's maturity and her evolution, I think, is going to be ultimately what... If you told me in an NCAA tournament, you told me what's the reason Florida State beat one of these top five teams in the country, it's because I think River Baldwin went off. All right, Aria, we're, we're winding down on the women's basketball talk. I'm going to give you a chance here. I know you don't like predictions for too far in the future. Yeah. 
But could you could you tell me what you think that the uh, the peak for this women's basketball team is? What do you think should should they set their goal for? I think a national title. You said peak. They, they, they can make a Final Four. They're good enough. I mean, they're all the, they have all the pieces. You have point guard play. You have you have Naja Wolfolk who averages twenty points per game against top twenty five teams. Like she she shines when the light is brightest. You've got Kaya Gillespie who is a mismatch for literally anyone. Michigan, a top twenty five team, was triple teaming her. Yeah, that that's a scouting report for Michigan was we have to stop that lady. Uh, <laughs> then you have a River Baldwin coming off the bench. You've got Sammy Puises who changes you because she is a pure shooter, pure three-point shooter. And, um, I mean, she's a knockdown sniper, as we like to call her. And so you've got that. And then, you, I mean, you've got, you've got girls playing defense. I mean, they're, they're a much better defensive team than they were a year ago. And then you have Valencia Myers and River Baldwin, like I mentioned. You've got two bigs. Like legitimate six four and taller bigs that are McDonald's all American that you and- do not see sitting on the bench or coming in. Mostly, most teams only have one one, and they aren't as dynamic. Just yeah. just watching JUCO women's basketball, a lot of these people you get from overseas, and you don't really know what they have. Florida State has people that are developed already. Uh, it's it's something to look forward to uh, going in. So you heard it first. Aria says that it's it's Final Four. He, he believes yeah, that Final no doubt Four is, no doubt is the mind. expectation here. And I, I'm sure it's, Coach Sue is, is setting that uh, on the bulletin board, sure. She's never made one. and that, Oh! I, I think that would be... Man, I'm just like imagining... I'm imagining Sue's reaction as if the clock like winds down and she's winning an Elite Eight. She's been to the Elite Eight multiple times and she has had some absolute heartbreakers. I'm talking like... Up with two minutes to go against South Carolina, yeah, and and they lose by one point or a bucket here or there late in the game. They've lost to South Carolina twice in the lead eight by. I mean, it's it's just been it's it's yeah. hurt. And so um, I would love for her to do that. And one other goal for them: um, they've never been standalone ACC regular season champions, and they've never won the ACC tournament. I would love for them to hoist at least the ACC tournament championship just to kind of have some hardware. Yeah, well, you would get some hardware too. I would hope so. <laughs> that's what that's what we've been trying to. Uh... I'm busting my vocal cords over here. I wanna I want a ring, guys. Oh man. Well, let's uh, let's switch over. We're gonna take a hard turn over to the NFL okay. and what is the, the the final week of the season, and it has been. I wouldn't say there have been too many surprises. No. To me, to me, the one surprise going into this year was a lot of people said, "Well, I'm saying yeah, you could say the Ravens, but I'm I'm going a, a disappointment, oh, more okay. of a disappointment in, in the surprise aspect of the Browns just didn't really live up to expectations." And and you look at OBJ and Jarvis Landry, it would not shock me if they are not on the team next year because and and Freddie Kitchens might get the can as well. You've heard you've heard the rumors where OBJ has been saying that he, hey, come and get me, come and get me, come and get me. That's not something you want, especially when you have you have the pieces. I just don't know exactly where it's gone wrong for for the Browns, really, Arya. Yeah, I think that's people had a lot of expectations, right, for that team. You got Baker Mayfield. You added the pieces around him at wide receiver. You had Nick Chubb at running back and a defense that's been salty, really, even when they were really bad. I mean, that's a it's a salty yeah. defense. I don't know. I I think they're getting. Is there too many egos on that team? Yeah, I don't know that Odell's the best fit there, right? Like, I don't. I think Jarvis is fine. Yeah, honestly, I think Jarvis is fine. Yeah, I'm not sure Odell's the best fit for them, um, but no doubt about it, they have not won the games at the level that they need to be winning. And how many coaches are you going to fire though? Like, 
you fire one, it feels like every other year. And yeah, did, did he even? He didn't really even have the credentials to get the job. That may be fair. That's that. that that's the one thing. And and you go to flip to the other side. And the Ravens have Lamar Jackson. Last year, if you had told a lot of people in the NFL that Lamar Jackson was going to be the MVP and Baker Mayfield would be a lower-tier 28th, 29th best quarterback in, in the league, not very many people would believe you. But, Arya, we both were at Florida State when Lamar Jackson tore apart the, the team. I just don't see how people didn't see that he was going to translate to the game. I mean... You might have been a year that. out. You might have been year out, are you? No, 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 no. I watched yeah, them. I mean, yeah. I'm gonna cover them, but like yeah. the question the the question was never is he an elite athlete. It was can you throw the can ball throw the football, yeah. in the windows that the tighter windows that the NFL provides. I mean, there were legitimate questions. We saw right? the, like, we saw were, the playoff were, game last year, and he, he was not. He wasn't very good, right? He give him credit for improving. Like he he proved everyone wrong. And that and that is the story that we love about sports is that these guys come out of I don't want to say nowhere because people knew who Lamar Jackson was, but he, every he, NFL team passed on him. He, he was the last pick in the in the uh, in the first round. Okay, so that means not every NFL team passed on him. He's a, he was still a first round pick. It wasn't like he was a seventh round pick. No, but I'm saying every NFL team had a As chance their top to pick quarterback. him. No, and yeah. they chose chose against. You go back. I'm pretty sure the Jags would pick him again, and look what yeah, that yeah. franchise has tr- turned into after after missing on him. Yeah, no doubt about it. And they spent all that money to go get Nick Foles, and they ended up not even using him. So, I, I mean, yeah, I know. That, that 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 hits pretty close. I I remember when I first came into Tallahassee, uh, that was when the Jags were terrible. And Aria, you know you know how the round Still table. Well, hey hey hey. You, you, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> but Aria, you you know when when you first introduce and they say you know hi my name's Luke and I like whatever. And I sat in my room. And there were about four or five people that were Jags fans. I went what. And and I was shocked that at at how terrible they were. And then now you go and look back at it. You aren't. They give you one good year, and you look forward to what they have left. They got I, hosed, to be honest. Like let's let's put that out there. They, they should have been in the Super Bowl. Yeah, imagine Blake Bortles manning them in the Super Bowl. That would have been. He was playing decent at that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, who knows? <laughs> it, it's and their, de- I, and their defense was on. I mean, unbelievable. It, it's to me, their defense is. It last year was good, and this year is good. The only reason why they haven't performed to the level that they did, and it was 2017, I believe. The only reason why they haven't is because that offense has been so putrid the last two years. They played too many snaps. They they can't get off the field. Yeah, their offensive line isn't any good, and it hasn't been good for a while. No. And when you can't run the ball in the NFL, I mean, you have Leonard Fournette, who's a pretty good running back if you give him the requisite offensive line help. I mean, and his career is not going to be very long if he's getting crushed this many times. Yeah, and, and it just I feel bad because Gardner Minshew is, a, is I think, a, a talent. You know, I, I think you've really? got some, I think you've got something there in Gardner Minshew. The problem is if he's sitting on his backside as often as he is, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you know that that, that is going to turn into a great offense. I mean, to great into turn into wins. The culture in Jacksonville right now just seems like everyone gets down on that locker room and on that general manager and, and on that head coach so fast in the year. It feels like, doesn't it always feel like after six games, the mood in Jacksonville's like, oh, yeah. here we go again. But but Clayus Campbell has always been kind of that gentle head the last three or four years. And it, the, when the report comes out that 25% of the NFL Players Association grievances have been against the Jaguars, that's not good. I mean, they made the move last week, firing Tom Coughlin. And and really, you don't. I don't think Dave Caldwell is going to stay for for the Jaguars as a GM. It's not. It's not looking good for them. But you look to the future. If I gave you this option, Aria, if I gave you the option of drafting Jalen Hurts 
or another player, non-QB, at this point, what do you do? Because you said you like Gardner Minshew. I think he's a good player. I do. You're saying So you're saying right now, what should Jacksonville do with their first pick? Yes. Mm. I, st- I mean, they keep trying for offensive linemen here and there, and it never works out. Like, Jokel's no longer in the NFL. He, he might have been, but I mean, I think Fisher was the, the, it was one and two, and Fisher was the, yeah. the Chiefs, and he was just as terrible. I think I'm passing on Jalen Hurts, honestly. I think at that point... <laughs> should they should they try after a QB? If a QB is available, do you think they need to do that? Or or is it kind of one of those things where the Jags are going to have to rebuild for four years If again? Tua comes out and, and he's available in the top five or six, or wherever Jacksonville's going to be, I, I would say... Maybe go for it. I mean, you got to realize Jacksonville has two first round picks, by the way, this year. Yeah. Because of the Jalen Ramsey trade. So, um, yeah, I, I think if Jacksonville is high enough in the pecking order and that both Burrow, I mean, Burrow's, he's gone. Like, yeah. Like they're not, he's not going to be available when Jacksonville is, is, is turn to pick. But Tua, the way the injury history, I think it's starting to slip. He might be worth that risk. But if you do believe in Gardner Minshew, then why don't you build around him or two? You could use some help at linebacker. I mean, since Telvin oh Smith and, and, and Paul Pazlesny, people gave Pazlesny a lot of, uh, kind of a lot of flack for, for some reason, but he was really good at what they asked him to do, and that was downhill, make sure that no one gets yards on the ground. And they tried to put Miles Jack in that position. He he just couldn't he couldn't fit the same role that Puz, he he was the quarterback of the D, he called the plays and everything. Yeah. I think they tried to get Miles Jack to do it. It, it wasn't the same when when they lost Pazlesny. Right. And you also probably still need a DB now that Jalen's gone. I mean. The drop off from Jalen to to whoever yeah. you have replacing him right now, it, it's magnificent. I mean, it's huge. And AJ Bouye ha- has not been He's playing okay. very well. AJ Bouye is a good cornerback yeah. in the NFL. He is not an elite NFL cornerback, in my opinion. For the money they're paying him, they're they're paying him to be elite. Right. And so the problem now is, you can you go find a DB? Is Delpit going to be available? I mean, from LSU, if he's available, you might think about it. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that the Jags are in one of these situations where they still see what they were in 2017 and go, we aren't that far away. Oh, and really, are. and really they are. They, they really are. They, they sold out. Dante Fowler, gone. Jalen Ramsey, gone. Paul Pozosny, retired. Calais Campbell, he's not going to be around for very much longer. He's getting up in age, and, and really for him, you might want to go to a better team that, that that can get you wins. I mean, if you're Jacksonville, you might think about trading Calais Campbell just so you get some more picks. I mean, he's still he's still valuable enough that someone's going to could give you, you could something get, for him. I think you could get a maybe a fifth round pick for him. That, that's so? asking a lot. That's a, you aren't going to you're going to get anything out of a fifth round pick that is anything close to Fair. him. So I mean, and then in the draft. I mean, if they so their second with their second pick, uh, I mean, if they if they feel like doing this, they could still use a primary wide receiver. I still think that they could use uh, a superstar wide receiver over there. They haven't really. Ceedee Lamb. I mean. This just class. Marquise Lee has not played anything. No, and they lost Allen Robinson after basically he tore his ACL and never they gave him up. showed up. Right. Um, this is a good class, by the way. Oh yeah, for wide receivers. That that's kind of the reason why Tamari and Terry thinking about staying. I, I yeah, he might. It's just, and I said this last week to Ryan. It reminds me of Adam Tate, where, where he he. He was picked in the seventh round by the Bengals, I think. Yeah, he made a roster. It, it was sixth or seventh, but he barely. He's a number two guy now. Yeah, he barely made a roster, and it worked out okay for him. But in this in this change of, of culture with, with what we're going to get with Mike Norvell, is it smart for Tamari and Terry to leave in this loaded class where you look and I don't know if he's a top 15 or even 20 receiver on, on the draft board. He may not be, and I think that's where him and his family get the feedback. But he seems like he has a good head. 
like thinking yeah. about thinking about because he a lot of people will just go straight up and be like, ah, you know, I'm 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 going, I'm gone. My thing is this: so Tamarian's his two knocks right now. I think the things that that people will put in the negative column is one: he's not consistently he's not consistent with his hands, right? Like no. he doesn't catch. Um, he really doesn't catch the ball at a consistent enough level. And two, he has he has moments where he kind of disappears in games. Now, when he interviews with these uh, NFL GMs, he can probably blame that on culture at Florida State and say, you know, our whole team— I wasn't team, in the ball, you know. Yada, 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 yeah. right? So I think people will overlook that. Now, the positives for him, 6'4 I mean, he's a true 6'4 receiver. He's got blazing speed at that size. You don't have a lot of guys 6'4 running a 4'. Four four. I mean, what is he? A four four eight, maybe. I mean, he's pretty fast, and and he's an excellent blocker. He drives yes. people off the ball, and I think those will those will entice some GMs. The reason I think he could do well if he does come out is I know he's going to kill his pro day, and he'll probably do well at the NFL Combine if he's invited, which I think he would be. Um, and a lot of NFL GMs fall in love with guys at these combines, and they they fall in love with the potential, maybe not necessarily the production. I.e. Justin Ross, or was it was it Justin Ross uh, who who yeah went ran to the like Bengals? a four whatever it was four one seven or four one it was nuts and he didn't even play in his first year he had some type of injury people fall in love with him right yeah. like that's this is what happens and I think Terry if he came out would do well in the uh, draft the draft lead up but yeah when he talks to Norvell if Norvell could convince him that in his offense he could put up another one thousand yard season and work on some of the things that they wanted to work on. He's real tight with Dugans, so that was huge to keep Ron Dugans here if you're Norvell. Yep. Um that's another thing that could help you with your draft stock is uh, a track record, right? If you have two seasons of one thousand yard receptions and like you said, uh, a non maybe a, a lesser loaded class next year, maybe Tamarian finds himself a few extra bucks. We uh we talked a little bit about the Jags. We're gonna quickly jump over to the Buccaneers with Jameis Winston. And what yeah, has what been? An, what an enigma, right? It's just like <laughs> I mean, hot or cold. It's um, I, I I mean I laugh because it it reminds me a lot of what Blake Bortles and his struggles, what he went through, where he had that year where he threw, he got the franchise record throwing thirty five touchdowns for the Jaguars, and really looked like he was turning a corner. And Jameis came out. And the only difference is Jameis was the number one pick. He's the franchise turner, and. A lot of the stuff that went wrong with him early on was off the field. Off the field issues, you can talk about when he was in Arizona, the issues with the Uber, everything coming back from college. And then this year, you don't really know what you're going to get from him. And he comes out, and he is the Jekyll and Hyde player of the NFL. He's leading the NFL in passing yards. But then again, he has, I believe, 28 interceptions. He's on track for a, I, I don't know if they've ever had in the NFL, I think it was the first time ever, where he'll have a 30-30 year. 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. What do the Buccaneers need to do with, with his contract coming up? Do they extend the one-year offer? Should they franchise him? I mean... Because what, what, at this why point, would you, what are you going to do? What, I guess my question is, if you're the Bucks, what are you hoping he's going to show you in the next year? Like, you know who he is, right? Like, everyone knows at this point who Jameis Winston is as a quarterback. He's always going to throw. He's going to probably always. He can easily throw for three hundred yards every game, right? Check. Yep. He's probably going to throw three touchdowns most games, just out of sheer volume. Check. Probably going to throw for multiple picks, almost every game. I mean, that's just that's who he is. If you think next year Jameis Winston's going to just automatically turn into a guy who protects the ball at a high level, I mean, he's like Brett Favre in a lot of ways. I mean, you knew what you got in Brett Favre. The question around Tampa Bay now. People love to blame the quarterback when things are going wrong. I mean, that's just kind of the that's yeah. the thing to do. But do they have a run game? 
Tampa's, no. Tampa's not a good football team. They don't why, have a why run we, game. Why are we blaming Jameis Winston for everything Tampa does wrong? He does not lose them ball games. More often than not, he keeps them in ball games. And so, I don't know what Tampa does. I do believe this, by the way, and, I, and I'm, I'm fine being on record saying this. I believe if Jameis Winston plays for another NFL franchise, I think he'll have better... He'll have better numbers than than playing with the Bucks. Really, they are an awful offensive line. I mean, it is a it is an embarrassment to watch that offensive line go to work. And their defense, most more times than not, not great. And so you've got a guy who's you at you pretty you pretty much put the game on Jameis's shoulders. It feels like every week, Tampa is relying on Jameis to basically pull them out of being awful. And I just don't know that Jameis Jameis is an excellent quarterback. He is not. He's not going to be mentioned as one of the top five or ten quarterbacks in the league, though. So if you're expecting that, I mean, I think you're going to you're going to come up disappointed. But, but for him personally, looking at his career tra- trajectory, I know that the state of Florida has been pretty good to him. Yeah, uh, he's never really played in cold weather. If you look at it from the whole grand scheme of things, is there is there another place in the NFL that? That'll help him out and, and better him because a lot of his problems really have come from the state of Florida. Maybe he needs to move out, go to a different team. I just don't know. It, it might could it could it be a mutual thing for them to part ways at that point where where Tampa says you know they've got the thing is they got no one below them no no quarterback that they can even go yeah they and, would draft someone if they would have to draft that someone would be the but plan. I you think that they could sign like a Joe Flacco for a year and 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 be really really bad Jameis can go somewhere else and if you where could you stick him where he would be successful that's the one question I have. You you look at the Bears, what they have right now with Mitchell Trubisky, and and I don't know if he's an upgrade from Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, probably not. I mean, it's I think you get a better pure passer than Trubisky is, but you're right. I mean, those are some valid concerns. He'll he'll be a top backup quarterback in the NFL for sure. I I think that he'll be very much wanted. It's just I don't see I don't see Jameis ever becoming what many people in the NFL thought he was going to be. He's not going to be that, that number one draft pick. Could if he be better in Cincinnati? I think he could be a, yeah, he'd be a solid player. Yeah. You've got, is... you got Joe Mixon behind you. You've got a couple of really good receivers. I mean, we'll see what... I, I don't. Are they going to keep A.J. Green? Uh, is that going to... I mean, did they, did they franchise him yet? They have to trade him. I think that might be one of those draft day trades. You've got, you got a good receiver there. Um, and the Bengals defense, eh. I mean, it has what, what is what is James's career path like? What is, what is his peak career path? Is it is it like Alex Smith, where you you start off really really bad and then um, go through some years where his final year with the 49ers, he was pretty good. Uh, he, he goes over to Kansas City, was pretty good. It goes to Washington, he had a pretty good year again. James seems like one of these players where you said it, it is an enigma. What 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 do you think he's going to end up being like? It, it, what is Could his career like going to da- be defining? Could he be like David Garrard? I mean. He's going to be a good quarterback. I mean, above average NFL quarterback that will drive you crazy some weeks. And you know, I think I think Jameis Winston's going to. Pl- I mean, Jameis Winston will will finish a career in the NFL. I have no doubt about it. I think he's a starter his entire career. Um, the question is, do you, are you ever going to mention him as like tops in the game? I don't know. Maybe he'll do better in Tennessee. How funny would it be if he went and replaced Mariota? Wow, that would be that would be so funny. And he's had a much better career than Marcus Mariota has had. Yes, and so um, maybe in Tennessee is where I mean Tannehill was was not great at Miami. He was solid, and injuries, and then they got rid of him, and so now he's doing pretty well with the Titans. If he does go to Tennessee, that's a pretty good situation, by the way. You've you've got a pretty solid defense there backing you. Well, Aria, we we talked a lot about the state of Florida. Let's go into the playoff picture, which 
has it, it's pretty solidified right now. What what the big one that that is up for grabs is is the Titans' last wild card spot. So mm. it's ti- the Titans who are fighting for a spot along with the Raiders and the Steelers. And going into the the final week of the season, the Titans are going to be playing. I believe it's the Houston. So the, they'll be playing Houston. Houston said they're going to try to win this game. They've already locked up their their playoff seed. I don't see any reason why. Are the Titans with Ryan Tannehill? Are are they are they a, a trouble heading into the playoffs? Because they look pretty good as of late. Yeah, I don't. A, I don't think the Texans are that good. Do you? No, they're, 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 they they they're play a, good every every once in a while. They almost solid. got beat by the Bucks. I mean, they're solid. Uh, yeah, that division's not any good. No, by the way, I mean, the, like, well, I, you think <laughs> about you think about if Andrew Luck did not retire, the AFC South is not any good. But if Andrew Luck doesn't retire, the Colts, the Colts would own that division. It, it would be theirs for for the taking. Uh, Ryan Tannehill just doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to go anywhere in the playoffs. And uh, really, if you look on the other side uh, in the NFC, it's it's between the Cowboys and the Eagles. And the Eagles, if they win the game, they're in. Uh, the Cowboys. They self-destructed. Who do the Eagles play this week? Uh, let's see. They they play the Giants. So. Okay, so the Eagles are gonna. Yeah, they're in. <laughs> <laughs> are we gonna go ahead and like the Giants? They have no reason to win that. I game. mean, I guess I guess I guess hypothetically the Giants could with with Saquon find a way to upset, but the Eagles look to be playing with some confidence now. Yeah, I I, I wonder. Um, and you got Wentz, who who I think has has kind of been through a a late season surge. Uh, I mean, I, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I, I to me the the team that right now, if I could, if I could put who is going to be in the Super Bowl, I, I would say the Ravens and the Saints. That's a Super Bowl that I would want to watch. I mean, and and right now, you thought the Chiefs were going to be the best team in the AFC, and they aren't. They they've dropped some games that you go and look and you go, what 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 are you doing losing these games? Right now, they're eleven and four. Probably going to end up being. Uh, being in in a good spot in the playoffs, but to me, the Ravens are going to be that team that's going to be in the Super Bowl. And and really, if Lamar Jackson can lead them to the Super Bowl in year two, you got to really worry about what that AFC is going to look like in the future. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Because Tom Brady, he he's not been good. Not, not he's good. not. It's not the same Brady. No, but the pro- the offense is built around what he's doing, and the defense has just been unbelievable. But I still worry. If you're an NFL team, you you would you won't believe that that dynasty's over until you see it, right? Like like the minute they're out in like a first in, in like an early round is the time you go, oh, it might actually be over. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you know the. And this is with a lot of teams. The regular season is a warm up, but really the Patriots they come to shine in the playoffs. That's that's their bread and butter. And and once it comes to Bill Belichick getting them ready, and uh, you look at them right now, they're probably going to get that that first round by. I think right now they're still twelve and three. I mean they're really good. <laughs> yeah, I I think right now the Patriots are right where they want to be, but it's it's going to be a time where where Tom Brady he was a play away from being exposed by Blake Bortles. True. So I, I I think that that dynasty is over. I'll say it right now. You okay. can tweet it. You can tweet it over there, Scott. The the dynasty is over, and I believe that the 49ers are overrated. I do, really do. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, big time. I I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is is what people are billing him up to be. And uh, really, the, to me, the Saints are the team to beat in there. Uh, the Vikings are not good. Uh, they've won ten games, but they aren't going to be anything. Uh, Cousins, uh, you could say if you put Jameis in there, they win more games. 
I mean, Cousins hasn't won a single Monday night football game. I think they uh they play they play Monday night coming up. Yeah. So you look at that. One interesting team to look at are the Seattle Seahawks. Chris Car- Carson went down with a fractured hip, and there have been reports that there is mutual. If if Marshawn Lynch can pass that that physical, that he will be playing Week 17 for the Seahawks. How cool would that be? I mean, I would be. I'm gonna, get me my bag of Skittles because uh, I'm watching the game. I'm watching I'm the game. I'm Skittles 100%. as soon as he walks into the game. Will they feed him the ball at the one yard line, please? <laughs> oh my God! Will you give the man the ball? I don't know, man. I I really don't. I, if he can, if he comes out and gets a hundred, it's it's almost like um, it's it's like the Gronkowski situation where they thought he was going to come back, sit out half the season, then come back at the very end. Now you're looking at Marshawn Lynch with Seattle. What if Gronk comes back? He can't. I I know that he can't. Uh, they they oh. said uh, they. I think they would have had to activate him a little bit earlier. I Dang. think it's because Marshawn is a free agent. He's allowed to sign. C.J. Anderson is another guy that they're working out. Which C.J. Anderson came in yeah, last he had some year. Good years at, in Denver, but he came back. He came in the playoffs last year for the for the Rams and yeah. really carried them. While po- yeah. Todd Gurley wasn't uh, wasn't healthy. I mean, yeah. you, you don't you still don't know what's up with that knee um, as of right now. But to me, the the scary teams right now are the Ravens and the Saints. And and Michael Thomas, he just broke the record for most. Uh, it was most catches in in NFL history for a season. So. He might be one of the most underrated players, really, of the last like fifteen years. Michael Thomas is yeah. a really good receiver. I, I think it's because at Ohio State, he was never like he's he's not um he's not like OBJ. He's not out in the media. He's not an eye guy. He's just a great player. He backs it up, and I mean, he comes from a good lineage. Uh, I, I, his name's escaping me. Keyshawn, uh, number one draft pick. Keyshawn Johnson. That's his. That's his uncle. Oh well. So you know he he's a good player. I. Uh, I, I like it, and I, I think that right now he's the number one number one receiver in the game, and possibly one of the top five players in the game. I mean, I think the connection with Breeze is in, is undeniable, and so that that's that makes for you know better numbers for both sides, right? If you have the receiver you trust, if you have the quarterback you trust, and uh, I agree with you. I think I think Michael Thomas is definitely I would I would say safely top three. We're, we're talking about the best teams, Arya. We're gonna we're gonna roll over to the worst teams, okay. and we'll go to the Bengals. Wow! If you're the Bengals, you're on the clock right now. Who are you picking to change your franchise? Joe Burrows. Of course. You need so a quarterback. Burrow. You need, Burrow, you need a quarterback. You need a quarterback. Now. I, I, I think so. I, I agree with it. But given given the way that that culture has been built in Cincinnati, you don't um, – you hate to see a, a one-year starter. Well, he, he started for two years. Um, he, he, he has flashes of brilliance. But could it be just that Joe Brady, the passing coordinator for LSU – Build this up to be perfect for Joe Burrow, and then when Maybe. he goes to the NFL, it's not gonna it's not gonna work out. That that could be that could be said. But, but if you're sitting there as the GM, you're confident in taking him number one overall. I think I am. I'll be honest with you. I feel good about it. If if Tua was healthy, would you where where would the argument be? Do you think that you would go after him? Tua, from a pure talent perspective, I think might be a little bit higher than Burrow. The problem is, you say if he was healthy. Well, I mean, he's not. He's and just so short and not not built up. His I, entire career, he's been hurt, and so like yeah. they're a red flag after red flag. And the last thing you need is a, a situation in which you don't have your your all star quarterback, your franchise quarterback available for but what eight games a season. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aria, we've uh, got a little bit past the break here, so we'll step step aside for a second. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. This is Tomahawk Talk. Walk beside a lonely dancer
we're back. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. I am Luke Fay alongside Aria Masudi. We're going to go into some Christmas uh, special here. Uh, the NBA, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Aria, but this is one of those things that I look forward to when it's a lazy, it's, it's going to be a lazy Wednesday, and, and the slate looks really good for the NBA. Yeah, it really does, and it's... You know, the regular season for the NBA most years is a, a snoozer. Actually, yeah. all years. It's pretty much a snoozer during the regular season. Dynasty's Except, over for the Warriors, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's over. I think it's on hiatus uh, until they uh, until they get their draft pick. This seems planned, by the way, by Golden State. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, Steph, Steph we'll Clay, yeah, Steph we'll Clay and it. Draymond, all are, like, two of them are taking, like, long breaks. I know Clay has to for the ACL. Yeah. But Draymond, like, keeps missing games. It's almost like they're wanting... That NBA, they want that top five pick. Yeah, because it's scheming. Trust me. I, I, yeah, I think we're gonna get into that, and 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 this is Aria. You were alluding to it, but this is wide open. It, it is. It, it, I don't know if there is really a top dog, and it feels refreshing. It really does. It really does. I mean, obviously, you you like the Clippers roster, and LA's off to a hot start. Milwaukee is is playing really well. Giannis. Seems to be, you know, has taken his game to another level. And yeah. So my Miami Heat, they got to give them a shout out. They've uh, surprised a lot of people. I think a lot of a lot of guys counted them out. And I think in the East now, a conference that I think you can do some damage. And I like that team a lot. But yeah, Christmas Day, Christmas Day will be fun. Yeah, Miami's not going to be playing unfortunately on Christmas Day. Right. Uh, they have been one of the the surprises of of the NBA. And um, I, I don't think anyone would have would have thought that Jimmy Butler would be able to take them. Uh, beyond what LeBron James had been able to do along with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. We'll see where that goes, but looking at, at the games, I, I'm going to highlight, I'll highlight three games for you here. Um, the, the Celtics versus Raptors, which will be the, the noon nooner on ESPN. Then at 2.30, we'll have the Bucks versus the 76ers. And then the primetime 8 p.m. ABC Clippers versus Lakers. So first off, we'll start with the Celtics versus the Raptors. Um, both teams are very solid. Gordon Hayward, he broke his wrist. He's coming back off injury. He's played pretty well. But they they don't have the exact star power that Kyrie Irving gave them. And, and he's, he checked out. I, I don't think that Brooklyn... Do you really see Brooklyn making the playoffs this year? Uh, I mean, they got a shot. It's the East, right? Like I think most teams there for that... Other than really the top like four or five right now in the East, I think six, seven, eight's up for grabs. Yeah, I, it, I don't know if Kevin Durant will come back, but if he does, I don't even know if it's, I don't even know if there's any reason really to come back. I, I think that they've kind of chalked it up almost like Brooklyn knows that they're a year away from trying to own the East, just like the Warriors know that they're a year away from being right back where they want to be. Uh, but the Bucks versus the Seventy Sixers that really that really piques my interest because. Giannis has taken his game to an, another level. You mentioned he had five threes against the Lakers, which no one ever saw coming. I mean, him making him attempting five threes was something that no one would have seen. On the flip side, you look at Ben Simmons, and I really think that he has regressed this year. He hasn't really developed anything beyond what he, what he is, which is a, a passer and trying to score closer to the bucket. He has no jump shot, or it's not. There's there's nowhere he can go with the ball where you go. You know what? Ben Simmons is going to be a threat other than four or five feet away from the goal. And I think that the 76ers are in more trouble than what people really think. Yeah, I think people have just been waiting for Ben to take his game to another level. And you see the elite athleticism at his size. I mean, he's 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and he, he, he looks a lot like Braun in terms of athleticism at that size. And then he rebounds the ball well. Obviously, he's an elite passer. He's one of the best passers in the game. 
And he and he does finish well at the rim. The problem is in the NBA that's not good enough. And yeah. and it's not it's not that it's not good enough if you're a role player. It's that the 76ers drafted you to kind of be the face of the franchise. Like they thought they were getting you and Joel Embiid and He's playing he's not playing second fiddle, he's playing third or fourth fiddle. And yeah, and it's just he's he's a good player right now and is good is good good enough. Like if you're the 76ers, I, I don't I don't think good's good enough. Yeah, I, to put it that way. And and if if you look at it, Tobias Harris is their third best player. If you go if you go Joel Embiid, you know what? We'll say we'll say Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons as the second best player, and Tobias Harris as the third best player. Looking at it right now, I know that Jimmy Butler has to. He's that that alpha dog. It, it kind of clashed when he was on the 76ers for that short period of time. But if you're looking at it right now, if you could, if you were the 76ers, would you? Would you try to redo it and not sign Tobias Harris and, and and go for Jimmy Butler the way he's been playing right now? Nah, because I don't. I think because of the point you made. I mean, if if the personality clashes, then you really don't have a good culture in your locker room, and that's a problem. You know, and and you saw it in Minnesota. They had a lot of good players on that team. I mean, Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, and Jimmy Butler. They tried to put together a pretty good roster. Ricky Rubio. I mean, it was a good roster. It just on paper, on paper, it doesn't fit. It doesn't. If it doesn't, if it doesn't fit, then there's really no point. Yeah, well, I, I, I like the Sixers. I, I like what what they've been doing. Joel Embiid is is you know a great guy to watch. He's he he is he is the epitome of what this new NBA is, which is you know a stretch five. He can shoot the ball. He can take it on the floor. But this seventy sixers team, I think, is going to break down towards the end of the season. And and what they were one shot away, man. They, they were about one shot away from making the NBA Finals at at one point when the Raptors. They, they knock down that shot, and then you think the Sixers can go on and, and win the next series. you, you got to think that, that they missed their opportunity when Kawhi Leonard knocked down that shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that would have been the team to knock off Golden State in, in the next round. Now, again, maybe because Golden State ended up being a, f- a fragment of themselves by the end of that, that finals. But, yeah, I think that, that was maybe their window because the Bucks. I think they right now up. they yeah. kind of have it, and if you're the Seventy Sixers, your team's just not really good enough. No, no, I, I, I think the Bucks are the best team in the NBA. They, in, in my opinion, if we're going to the future right now, they will be in the NBA Finals. <laughs> you look across, and the West is wide open for the first time in a long time. The Clippers and Lakers, for the first time in a long time, are both really, really good. I I I don't know I don't know who to pick who's the better team as of right now I I couldn't tell you Ari. I mean I think right now the better team is is the Lakers right like they're playing better um, their parts are working maybe on more of an efficient level than than the Clippers are but I think the roster I like the makeup of the Clippers a little bit better you've got they have offense, a bench you've got a bench you've got defense you've got elite defense um, you've got kind of a little bit of everything right. And so then you also have Kawhi Leonard, who I think is slowly turning into the best player in the NBA. Yeah, and Paul George missed the early part of the season. Um, one of those, one of the things that we've seen is a lot of low management. LeBron, LeBron has been a part of that in, in the past. But Kawhi Leonard, he's not playing back to backs. He's sitting out, and I, I think that that was part of the deal that he made with the Clippers when he signed. But is this hurting the integrity of basketball? I think it's hurting the marketing of basketball. I mean, integrity. The whole point of this is for you to be at your freshest and at your best at the end of the season, right? Like you play eighty. I think career-wise, having a longer career, eighty-two, eighty-two game season, eighty-two, and so, yeah, you want longer career, more. You maximize your dollar potential for the future. 
Um, I don't necessarily hate that, that teams do this. I don't love it in terms of when you do it, you're really taking away opportunities for fans who pay a lot of money. And, and yes. these kids, the guys, you know, like families who bring their kids to games and you've got some of these stars sitting out. I mean, it does lessen, it lessens the market value of that ticket. Uh, you, you, you talk about in the old days, they, they played all those games. Um, and, and a lot of people point to that being a negative aspect, like Larry Bird, his body is breaking down right now. You, you point to all those greats who had, had those great careers, but could have gone a little bit longer, but we're talking about quality of life afterwards. I think that factors a lot into the reason why Kawhi Leonard won't be playing as much. LeBron James won't be playing as much. And, in, in the grand scheme of things, I know that, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, you, you play on the playground and you're going to play back-to-back-to-back-to-back games as much as you want. But when you look down at the length of the career, the amount of money, all right, let's look at it right now. The amount of money that the NBA is pulling in, uh, you tell me that, uh, I'm, I'm trying to name it, Tim Hardaway Jr. is making $17 million a year. Do you even know what team Tim Hardaway Jr. plays for? Dallas Mavericks. That was actually pretty good, you know. But but you know, he's not... <laughs> it, Five years ago, Tim Hardaway Jr. would have been one of the, the a top thirty player if I mean, he was Delvin if he was Nova's getting paid making that. like eighteen million a year. It's insane! It's insane. So the amount of money and that might change with the whole China issue. Um, that that might change with uh, the amount of money getting allocated and everything. But there is a lot of money to be had on this table that that these players are playing for that people don't really realize necessarily. Yeah, there is a lot of money on the table and. I mean, it's becoming a players. League. The NBA has always been a players league, and you know, with Adam Silver being a players commissioner. Yeah, he's a players commissioner, and you know, there's a lot of just uh, player friendly rules and practices. And um, yeah, look, at the end of the day, if your if your ultimate goal from a competitive standpoint is to be ready to go when it counts the most, then I understand why they do this. But you are robbing the fans of an experience. Yeah, uh, that's that that is completely true. Uh, well, the Clippers Lakers that's a primetime game. Aria, who is going to win this game? Because we will see Kawhi and we will see LeBron. And really, the the, the Lakers have owned the town for you know, 60 years, however long it's been. But the Clippers, Clippers, Clippers as of the late, the, the Clippers the last decade go from 2010 to 2020. They've, they've had the better part of the Lakers, can, if, if you compare. This is the first time that I can ever remember where these two teams have been so similar where... If you're a fan growing up in LA, you don't really know who to root for. I mean, I think most LA fans are they're they're diehard Lakers, right? Like it's like the LeBron doesn't hurt to be there. It's you like know? the Yankees and Mets, right? In in New York City. Like most yeah. people most people are are Yankees fans. And then you've got that crowd that kind of feels like they're they're kinda, you know, the uh I don't know I can't really use the word on on air that uh that I'd like to, but, yeah. but they, they think they're kind of going against the crowd. And um, then you got the Clippers fans who probably 10 years ago were able to get cheap tickets, and as a kid, yeah. they went to games, and now they're diehards because their team got good at the right time. But look, uh, you're right. I think the Clippers and Lakers, this is monumental for the city of L.A. If you have a Western Conference final one day that is L.A. versus L.A. in the same arena that they both share, I think you're you're on to something pretty special. And oh, yeah. so... Um, I do like the Lakers, though, in this matchup. 
Okay. I think I, I think Clippers won the first one on the opening night, if you remember. Yep. And uh, I think the Lakers have been playing better as of late. And I, I like LeBron and uh, Anthony Davis. I think they'll play up to the to the competition this yeah. time. Uh, I, I do like the Lakers as well. Um, you know, LeBron is is going to be. I think he's going to be excited. This is going to be may, maybe he'll promise to his kid that he's going to win the game. That's going to be the Christmas present. I, I don't know exactly, but LeBron has been on another level. AD has been an, on another level. He's a freak. And, Really, question the for them is: Can he stay healthy? Right. I I think. When's the last time he finished a season? Yeah, kind of, kind of tried to sit out last year. Yeah. At the very end, you know, True. You, you can you can understand that. But to me, the question with the Lakers is: Who is their bench? Because they don't they don't have really anyone who jumps out at you and says, you know, Caruso. That that's going to be the right. guy. That's your the J.R. Smith per se. You know, J.R. Smith. He helped the Cavaliers. He wasn't. Too much of uh, of of what you you saw in, in Caruso, but he is a different type of player. Um, and, and LeBron, I I I don't think that he can last like he has uh, in, in previous years throughout the playoffs if he doesn't have that deep bench. Um, we'll see what they can do. I know I've heard some rumors about Dion Waiters, who you as you know has not had a very good tenure the last couple of months with with the Heat, possibly him being traded to the Lakers. We'll we'll see where that ends up. But they're in a good situation. The the Lakers and the Clippers. I uh I, I like the game and we'll see if Kawhi Leonard shows up. Yeah, I mean I think Kawhi Leonard will definitely show up. Uh question becomes is Paul George, has he been good enough and uh, you mentioned the bench, and, and we'll see what, what the Lakers do have some good pieces that they can put in there. I mean, I know they've been switching their starting five pretty much every yep. week, but, I mean, Avery Bradley's a good player. Kyle Kuzma's a great player. Quinn Cook is all right. I mean, he's okay. Um, you know, Caruso's been decent for them, and um, KCP, called, uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope has been has been solid for them. And Can they stay healthy? You know, that's that's the big question. Yeah, I mean— I, yeah, that is the big question. Kyle Kuzma is going to be the X factor for them, right? Like you have all these stars. It's Kuzma who's been on this like trajectory of his own. Even last year, right when they had all those yep. pieces, they got traded to the Pelicans. They kept two, Kyle Kuzma. Why? Yeah. Because they felt like he was untouchable. And so Kuzma's the one that I think if he evolves into the next great star that the Lakers have been waiting for, you have two bona fide superstars already on the roster, and then you've got a lot of good pieces. Danny Green's one of the best shooters yeah. ever. And so, um, yeah, if Kyle Kuzma takes that next step forward for them as the season progresses, he's been hurt pretty much all year. I like the Lakers team. I think there's more upside to this Lakers roster than people give them credit. I'm going to say that they, they, will be, they will be one of those teams in the Western Conference Finals. I think that this is a, this is a possible preview of the Western Conference Finals. And um, really, I'm like 99% sure this is the Western Conference Finals. It, really, if, if you look at it. Like, who else do you trust? Like, Houston? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, the show, Rock, show me before the I Rock, believe it. You're right, you're right. The Rockets can't win a game six Portland, to save their life. Portland going to lose in seven games to the Rockets probably. Yeah. I, no, you're right. We haven't even talked about the Nuggets, but they have one of the, the better records in in the league, 20-8. and eight. Give me Utah over Denver. Oh, okay. for, a play, for a playoff? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. One thing that, that we did want to mention was... The Warriors do have the worst record in the Western Conference, six and twenty-four. Steph Curry went out with an injury. Klay Thompson, he he had that ACL tear at the in the NBA Finals. Draymond Green, as you you alluded to, has been playing sporadically. It seems like they're taking off. Kind of reminds you of what the Spurs did, and when they end up getting Tim Duncan, is is if there is a a chance that Steph Curry can come back in February, do you even try to play him? 
Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe sporadically, but the point right now for the Warriors is to go ahead and try and and get that get a top five pick. They aren't making the playoffs this year. No, they're not. No, go ahead and go ahead and get a top five pick. Add to a roster of maybe you trade D'Angelo Russell in the end, and you get more picks because the core the core of of Steph, Clay, and Draymond is still pretty good. Three. That's yeah. a really good three. And I mean, if you keep D'Angelo Russell and if he fits your culture, then you do. But can you imagine them adding a lotto pick? I mean, that's Wiseman over there. I mean, I'm just saying. Ooh. I mean, I don't know if they'll be the number one pick. They could be, right? If they're if they're bad enough, they're going to be in the lottery. And I love about the NBA lottery is that it's not an automatic. It's not like the NFL yeah. where the worst team has to get number one pick. It's, it's but it's I, I really I really do think the Warriors are purposely going to be terrible. I mean, no, I mean, it's obvious are. already. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Steph's probably not as injured as. People no. are saying Draymond I mean, had a finger and he missed three weeks. Gordon Hayward broke his hands already back. Steph Curry has a similar type of injury. They're definitely yeah. it, they're, it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do. Yeah. Well, well, we'll uh, we'll take one more break before uh, it's seven forty right now. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. back this is luke fay alongside aria masudi this is tomahawk talk on wvfs tallahassee the voice of florida state we have been waiting a while to do this we've got about 18 minutes left aria so college football playoff is this what you expected it to be oklahoma lsu ohio state and clemson earlier in the year is this what you expected no i think most people just assume alabama is going to be in it right until they're not and hey it's refreshing they're not I'm actually not that disappointed. Um, yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't want Alabama, not, Clemson, I'm Part I'm Four. Not, oh darn! I mean, Nick Saban didn't make a playoff. I mean, for the what the first time since it's been. No, I think yeah, they've they've, yeah, they've, yeah, they've made every yeah, playoff yeah. since it's been uh, inaugurated. So, uh, yeah, I think 
I think LSU might be the surprise in there. The other three teams, I think a lot of people thought Ohio State, Big Ten champion. Clemson, yep. ACC champion. Oklahoma, most likely the Big 12 champion, right? Yeah, Oregon was the only one where they're like, ah, we'll, we'll see with right. Herbert coming back. I think back. most people, the three of the four teams, I think most people thought would happen. LSU's been the one that everyone's pleasantly surprised has been in place of a Georgia or an Alabama. Yep. And so um, I'm looking forward to this. I, I, I'm not, look. I'm rooting for an LSU Clemson championship game. Really? I think it's cool. I think you have high flying quarterbacks. You know, you've got open offense. Okay. You've got you've got elite defensive players. I'm interested. I am. I I wanted. I I liked the the Joe Burrow against his old school. Um, that that kind of that piqued my interest. That especially would be cool too. Justin Fields. He's got 50 TDs overall. I. I I I don't I don't know if Ohio State has really played anyone. That's the one thing that you saw their struggle that they had against Michigan. They're pretty good. Uh, team. I mean, they're a good team. You saw the struggle they had against Wisconsin in the, in that championship team. I don't know, man. It, it's going to be fun. But let's go let's go uh, team by team. So we're going to start with sure. Oklahoma, who is the heavy heavy underdog. They've already got three players out. I I, I I'd have to double check, but one of their running backs is going to be out. Jalen Hurts has been their leading running back the, the entire year. But one cool thing, Arya, that I saw was he has been to the college football championship every single year. He's going to be in the playoff four straight years. You got to wonder that that type of confidence that he, he's been in this moment, that he's built for it, that could lead to be a positive going up against LSU where it's tough, man. It's tough. Yeah, and I was saying in the break to Scott, I mean, could this be the game that where it's important to have already been there before? I mean, you see it in the NFL all the time. Like, the, the franchise that's been there that many times, it's kind of like the Tom Brady effect, right? Like, yeah. even if you don't believe in their talent level the same way that you used to, he's still there. I mean, and until yeah. and, and that experience matters. And so, could this be a game where LSU turns the ball over three or four times? Could Oklahoma hit a special teams play that no one's expecting? I know this much for sure. Oklahoma's going to score a lot of points. I fully expect Oklahoma to score at least 30 points. Question will be: Can Oklahoma stop anybody? But I mean, the answer's been no for most of the year. They haven't stopped it. Uh, uh, they haven't stopped really uh, me from catching a cold. Yeah. I mean, well, last year, remember Kyler Murray? He, he put up a bunch of points at the end to make it like a, a close game. It's how slow are they going to start? I mean, if they start how they did against Baylor the first time they played Baylor, no chance. They came back from a twenty-eight to three deficit against Baylor, which if if they they should lose that game. I, I don't know how they came back, and and that's the grit of Jalen Hurts. Uh, but this team has only played two ranked teams all season, Baylor yep. and Oklahoma State, and they played Baylor twice. I, I, I don't know if they're battle-tested enough to, to play. And the last time they played LSU was— And they beat two- Texas, who was ranked at the time. Yeah. At the time. Uh, the last time they played LSU was in the championship, I, I believe. That LSU won 21-14 in the Sugar Bowl. So I, I, like, I like Oklahoma as a team, like on paper— yeah, but they're they, easily the weakest of the four, though, in the playoff. Yeah, oh, by far. But but Jalen Hurts, he's put up a great, he's put up a great year. Thirty six hundred yeah. yards, thirty two TDs, seven interceptions, completed over seventy percent of his passes. Uh, he 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 looks like he looks like the type of player that that could be a first round talent. He had twelve hundred yards rushing, eighteen touchdowns rushing. This guy is made. He's made. And last year, you you could argue if he he could have gone out last year if he wanted to. Um, but I don't think he would have been drafted in the first three rounds. This year, he has put himself into consideration to be in one of those late first-round picks with a team that doesn't necessarily need him to play right away. I think Lamar Jackson, Set his evolution standard. has kind of 
warmed the idea up to other NFL GMs about taking a guy like a, like a Jalen Hurts. There's one scenario I see in which Oklahoma beats LSU, right? Like, I think the recipe is pretty obvious. Hurts throws for 300 yards, runs for 100, has like five total touchdowns by himself. You know, he's hitting C.D. Lamb for bombs, and Oklahoma gets a couple of interceptions against Burrow and turns short fields into touchdowns. I think they need to move quick. Yeah, they got to get off to a quick start. Winning, Oklahoma's not winning a game 24-14. No. Like, that's not who they are. If they win this game, it's in the 45 38 range, right? Like they're winning in a high scoring affair. Um, I don't think they can come from behind, though. They have to get that fast start. I mean, if, if you get the toss, you got to go with the ball. CD oh, yeah. Lamb is their best, oh, yeah. he, he is their best player on their team overall athlete. I, I think that he, he's going to go higher than Jalen Hurts when it comes to the draft. 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns. He he's is arguably their guy. the best. He's arguably the best receiver in the draft. Argu- it's, it's, yeah. it's up there for an argument. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they have the number two offense in the country. Yeah. 554 yards a game. That's insane. If you if you look at it, they're going though. They're going up against LSU, who right now their their defense isn't what they used to be, but it's still an SEC defense. No, it is, and LSU's defense the last like three or four weeks has been playing well. Yeah, they've started to come along. I mean, Georgia's not an offensive juggernaut. I mean, I know a lot of Georgia fans are really frustrated with Kirby Smart and the offensive um, the flexibility they have as an offense and the risks that they don't take, but. They held them to 10 points, and that to me says it signals... I mean, they held Texas A&M. Jimbo's got a good offense over there in, in College Station. They held them to seven. So you're you're trending in the right direction as you get closer to playoff time, and you're right. You know, I think, I think LSU, if they're the ones who create some turnovers, they might run away with this one in a route, right? Like, like I think Oklahoma has to play probably its A game, and you're looking at, you're looking at LSU probably needing to play what? Like a... Like a B minus C plus, yeah, in that range, maybe maybe worse. I mean, Oklahoma people overlook their defense. Oklahoma has a top twenty five defense, yeah, which okay. which I mean, it's okay. Yeah, it's good. It's good enough to be in the playoff. It's it's not again. Their defense is reliant on turnovers. They're going to have to create some turnovers. Uh, absolutely. Well, let's move over to LSU. LSU they have the number one. They have the number one offense in the country. Five hundred and fifty four yards. Uh, you look at Joe Burrow. He he has four thousand seven hundred and fifteen passing yards. That's second only to Washington State's quarterback, uh, which you know is always going to lead the league. Yeah, and, he throws like eighty times a game. Yeah, yeah he's got, but he leads uh, with forty eight passing touchdowns, three rushing TDs, six interceptions, and this is the gaudy factor: seventy seven point nine per uh, percent completion. I, I er, uh, completion percentage. Oof, that was a tongue twister. He does not miss, and he he's one of the best downfield passers in the game. And that's really what takes the next step for what his evolution was. Ever since he played UCF last year and got laid out in that bowl game, he's been a different guy. Yeah, look, part of the reason why I think Joe Burrow will do well in the NFL when people ask, like, do you think this guy could be an NFL player? Is that he hits the long ball with a lot of accuracy. You know, he hits the underneath stuff. He hits the long ball, and he shows enough arm strength and mobility to where a team can like him. Well, a team likes him. Yeah. But in this game, Burrow, Burrow is who LSU leans on. And that's just that's their guy. He throws, for, like you mentioned, 4,700 yards. He's nearly perfect in accuracy. And I love his moxie. Like, he plays the game with such a level of enthusiasm and, and grit that it, it permeates the rest of his team. LSU yeah. has always been that team that seems like they're one step away. They're the quarterback away. They're just exactly. They're 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 always missing one ingredient, and it's the quarterback to be elite. Mm-hmm. They finally got their quarterback. 
And and that coupled with an Alabama team that was playing with some injuries this year, having to kind of figure themselves out, LSU's in a good spot. I think they're riding a momentum. That locker room seems like it really loves each yeah. other. It's it's just LSU. That a, locker room is really nice too. Yeah, you seen it? Yeah, <laughs> oh my god. LSU is a team that I think a lot of people have a hard time disliking. Like oh, yeah. most number one teams are like, I hate them. I'm gonna be honest. Why, why not? Why? I, I don't know. I went I like LSU. I went to LSU to cover that that baseball game, the LSU versus Florida State. They were the nicest fans I'd ever been to. I I went out and they bought us drinks, they bought us food. I mean, they they're the, they're nice. They're they're great people. That Louisiana lifestyle is and how can you not like Ed Ozeron? I mean, he's awesome. Uh, well, you can't understand him, but you got to love him. I he's mean, like he's the, yeah, he's like the cookie monster. <laughs> you you just kind of hear him grumble. Yeah, but th- this team though, it possibly could be without their starting running back Clyde Edwards. He's been hampered by a strained hamstring which happened in practice. Could and, be a big deal. And and that could be a big deal. He he is the big part of their rushing attack. He's had almost 1,300 yards, 16 touchdowns, but LSU has really been backed by their wide receivers. Jamar Chase, 1,500 yards, 18 TDs. Justin Jefferson, 1,200 yards, 14 TDs. And then Terrace Marshall, he's got 10 TDs. You've got three wide receivers with 10-plus TDs. That's not something you see in the college football landscape. No, and I think that's a credit to Joe Brady, off- to, to Brady yeah. and the offense that they've brought in yeah. because it's – I mean, you can see a lot of the same elements that the the Saints had. And so, you know, you hit a lot of the short routes. You hit the deep ball when it's there. You get the ball out of your quarterback's hands quickly, and it's built for playmakers. And so you mentioned Edwards potentially being out. It could be a big deal because I think he gets overlooked in that passing offense. And so 16 touchdowns and 1,300 yards, it's nothing to sneeze at. And so uh, I think that could be a, a big deal, especially if LSU doesn't find a way to run the ball. The reason they pass so well is because they have a semblance of a rushing attack that you have to respect as an opposing defense. But I don't know that it'll kill their chances because of their reliance on throwing the ball and obviously losing like a Burrow or one of those wide receivers yeah. would be a bigger deal. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And in the grand scheme of things, LSU is the better team. They, they're favored by by more than two scores. And they're, and they're better by quite a bit. Yeah, and... and the the real thing that that you have to chalk it up to is you look at these two quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts was overlooked, had to transfer. Joe Burrow overlooked, had to transfer. You look at uh, Justin Fields overlooked, had to transfer for Ohio State. It kind of proves that fact, which we we talked about previously, is this: if where you are isn't, if they don't believe where you are, uh, believe in you where you are, it might be better to go somewhere else. You can. You can be scared about it. Some people are, are wondering, will James Blackman stay at Florida State? But it's proven that you know you, you can get better. So we'll, we'll look at this in the LSU versus Oklahoma game. I, I'm going to throw it out to you, Aria. What, what is your score prediction? I think LSU. I feel good about the LSU pick. Um, again, I, I put out what I thought was the one recipe for Oklahoma to win this game. So if it happens, I wouldn't be completely shocked. But my pick for, for this one would be uh, LSU 41, Oklahoma 31. Oh man! Wow, that was uh, that's that's very close to what I was gonna say. I, I'm still gonna stick with mine. Um, I I agree. I think Oklahoma. It's gonna be kind of like what happened last year against Clemson. We'll see them start a little bit too late to come back. It, it, they aren't gonna come back like they did against Baylor. It's it, LSU has a good defense. I I think that people are underestimating. They've come along, as you said, the last four games. I have LSU winning 45-31. Uh, so you're real close to me, but 45-31, that'll be LSU. Uh, I'm excited to watch this game. I think this will be a fun game, no matter yeah. what the score is. I'm watching it. This won't be a snoo- this won't be a snoozer, right? Like you're not going to go 
oh, it's 17 to 10. Yeah. We're, it's not going to be one of those games. Yeah, we're with, you know, we'll see what Ohio State. A lot of explosive plays. Yeah. It's fun. It'll be fun. I, I It's it's kind of one of those games that you look forward to and just sit back and you go, uh, you know, bet the over and you'll be fine. <laughs> go for points. So uh, we, we've talked a little bit about that matchup. That'll be at 4 o'clock on ESPN Saturday. Uh, very exciting stuff. Uh, right right before the new year, which is just coming around. 2020, that'll be a new decade. It'll be the decade of, uh, of Aria at Florida State, right? Oh man, we'll Don't, see. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes. But Ohio State, as we mentioned earlier, Justin Fields, former Georgia quarterback, and he, he's had a great year. Passed for about three thousand yards, 40, uh, 40 touchdowns, ten rushing TDs. So that's fifty overall. The one thing that I saw that was interesting was he only averages three point eight yards per carry. And you look on the other side, Trevor Lawrence averages more per carry. Than, than Justin Fields, and he's not a running quarterback. Trevor Lawrence has, I think it was 60 yards less running and averages 5.3 yards per rush. Uh, Justin Fields is that dual threat. We'll see what he does against Clemson, which is the top two defense in the country. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I'm really looking forward to this game because these two teams have a history right in the playoff. I mean, Clemson thumped them. Um, the last time they played. So um, Ohio State's one of those teams to me that I think is flying under the radar in terms of people just kind of look at the Big Ten and go, eh, it's the Big Ten. They have three possible Heisman finals. It's a good – Big Ten's a really good conference. I don't know where this notion came from that that the Big Ten was not on par with the rest of the country, but Ohio State – They've got some good wins. They beat a Cincinnati team who's not bad. Cincinnati's no. a good football team. They beat them forty-two nothing, and yeah. so th- that was the first. That was the first glimpse to me where I went, okay, these guys are for real. And then you look at they beat a good Wisconsin team thirty-eight to seven. Then beat them again in the Big Twelve in the Big Ten championship game, coming back from behind. They beat Penn State and Michigan, who I think the, Penn State's a good football team. Michigan's solid. Uh, Michigan's going to always be like nine and three or eight and four. Yeah, it feels like that's what Jim Harbaugh does. But look, this Ohio State team for me in in the in the Big Ten title game, they showed me a lot being down double digits to Wisconsin, finding a way to claw their way into the game, and they have a, a game changer on defense. Chase Young is a one man wrecking crew on the defensive side of the ball, and we'll see, we'll yeah. see how they do. You, you mentioned Chase Young, and he he is dominated. He was a Heisman finalist, 44 tackles, 16 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles, and he he was suspended for two games. People forget that he's been he's been a record for Ohio State, and their defense is 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 the best in the country. It actually is. They're the number or they're the number two defense in the country behind Clemson. Clemson's the number one. It's about a, a three yard difference overall. But this defense is good. They've only allowed 19 total touchdowns, 3.9 yards per play. That's that's ridiculous. And they've got good DBs. They've got yeah. really good DBs. You, uh, but but the one thing that's overlooked is how good J.K. Dobbins is. Eighteen hundred yards rushing. You look at that's a third. That's a third most in the country. One hundred forty per game. Twenty touchdowns. I think that this matchup is really going to be on the backs of not passing but running. Travis Etienne was overlooked. I mean, he had fifteen hundred yards rushing this year. Seventeen touchdowns. He averaged over eight yards per carry. People don't. I, I don't think they respect what the running back is. I mean, Derrick Henry, he won the Heisman with the same numbers that J.K. Dobbins had. Yeah, he did, and and I think this this would be the matchup against Clemson, where I do think Dobbins will will play well. Um, 
I'm not sure that he's going to be able to take over, though, quite like the way he's used to. Clemson's defense, rushing defense, is elite. It's a great defensive line, good linebacking play. Justin Fields is going to have to win this game for them. He's going to have to make plays with his arms um, and keep himself alive with his legs because we saw Virginia is a similar team to Ohio State, not in talent and not in execution. But stylistically, they want to run the ball. They want to control the clock. They've got a quarterback who can move around and make plays with his legs. Um, And Clemson was able to really kind of contain that Virginia offense. But um, Fields will have a lot of pressure on him in this game to perform. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how he responds. Yeah, I like. I I want to see how Justin Fields will play. This is going to be really two of the top quarterbacks in the country, Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields, who both came out of high school at the same time. Um, they aren't going to be eligible for the draft. This is their showcase to the NFL of who's going to be the better player. If you go head to head, that's kind of that. That's kind of how you see it. And it's not like one defense is worse than the other. They're one and they're number two defenses, both of them respectively. This is a game where I do think that Ohio State will win it. But Trevor Lawrence, the one thing for me is Trevor Lawrence hasn't played anyone. I don't know if it, if you count Virginia. I think they've only played one ranked team over in the uh, the entire year. It's not good. The the almost lost to North Carolina. Sam Howell, I, we know Sam Howell here. Still, still to this day, I don't know if Clemson. I think that their offense is going to underwhelm, and really, the when you see it on the the defensive side, they can't keep up. So, so we'll see where that happens. Trevor Lawrence has been great overall, twenty four and zero as a starter. T Higgins, thousand yard receiver. One thing that you see from Ohio State, they don't have a thousand yard receiver. They've they've kind of spread the wealth around. We'll see what happens. Uh, they have the number two scoring margin. They they win by thirty five points a game. They have not played a close game except for the UNC game. This one's going to be close. Aria, what who do you think will come out on top? This should be a really fun game. You know, Trevor Lawrence is is to me the most talented quarterback in the country, and so um, really this game it comes down to. An Ohio State team that I think is battle-tested, a Clemson team that I think a lot of people are kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt. Um, I do think Clemson's underrated because I really like Trevor Lawrence and quarterback play wins national titles. Um, I like Clemson in a close one. I do. I think it'll be Clemson 34, Ohio State 27. I think that this is going to be a more lower scoring game because of the defenses and really untested quarterbacks at this point. They're young. They're only sophomores. Uh, You can say Trevor Lawrence has been equipped to this moment, kind of like Jalen Hurts. He torched Alabama last year, and people were talking about maybe he should sit out and not play at all, not hurt his draft stock. He has come down to earth this year. I don't know if you saw. Were you at the uh, Clemson game, Florida State Clemson? This, yeah, yeah. We we both saw that game in person, and he looked that much better than Florida State, but. At times he was rolling out of the pocket and threw a terrible interception. I, he is a wild card against a defense that is so good, Aria. This game's also going to come down to turnovers, right? Clemson forces a lot of them. Ohio State does a good job with it as well. Team who protects the ball. Team who makes that drive late in the third, fourth quarter that kind of puts the team over the top, I think, will win it. I'm picking, I'm picking Clemson because I think Lawrence is a big-time performer in the big moments, and I, I think he'll make a couple of plays to uh, T. Higgins or Justin Ross and uh, – I just can't count out. Da- I mean, Dabo yeah. gets his team to play. 
when it no, counts, Dabble, right. Dabble will feed these guys all week. Everyone saying they played nobody, they did this, they didn't have, bring your own guts, whatever, yada yada yada. We're, we're disrespected. We're we should be the number one team in the nation. We it. haven't he, lost. He loves it. He loves to go on ten minute press conference rants. He'll get his team ready to play. I think Clemson still isn't respected the way they should be. They're overlooked by some people around the country. They say the ACC's down, which it is this year. It's yeah. not that good. But I, I like Clemson in a close one. Trevor Lawrence has played. I, I agree. Trevor Lawrence has played better better competition. Overall, he has more starts than Justin Fields. But I think what it comes down to is offensively, Ohio State is a better team. And I just think that Trevor Lawrence is a little bit of a wild card. We'll see what happens. I have Ohio State winning 28-24 to in, in sort of a, a, a slower-going game. We'll, we'll see the pace of it. Um, but that's about all we got, Aria. It was a long show. We've been in here for two hours. Fun time, man. Appreciate you. Having oh me. yeah, it, you know we we had a couple people sub in, a couple sub out. But I'm glad that I got to do it with you. Um, always great to have a, a, a former host in, in the show. And you know I, I know you're doing great things out there. It's awesome to have you on. And I know you've kind of missed that seat right there. I have. This was fun. I appreciate you bringing me back, and I hope to be back soon. Well, that's all we have for Luke Fay for Aria Masudi. We got Scott Clemens on Twitter over there. This was Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. New release is up next.